The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GoRuck. GoRuck designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, including footwear, apparel, and rucks. Oh, a backpack. Like a backpack, if backpacks were made to last under the toughest conditions in the world. Mm. Everything they make is backed by their Scars Lifetime Guarantee and is tested and proven over and over and over again at GoRuck's events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GoRuck brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GoRuck link to learn more about their gear and events, and a portion of every purchase and event registration that you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Memoirs podcast. <laughs> I was I was telling Kira I was like after this after this ruck we need to go like a hundred percent hard on uh, just entertainment and talking about Marvel movies again. Yeah, we've been I, in the military for a minute. We'll just bring Becca on to talk about feelings for two or three straight episodes. Or uh, but no, this is in fact the Solid Seven podcast, and we are a better than average podcast, but just barely. And uh, each week we get together, we talk about whatever is going on in the world that interests us, and we invite you to join us. More often than not, we invite a guest to join along with us. And this week we have, we're just going to call him Ed, not Mr. Ed, not the horse, (laughs) just our good buddy Ed. What's up, man? How you doing, boys? Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So I, I joked. I, th- I think you you listen somewhat regularly, I think, yes. to the podcast. Yeah, so you kind of know uh-huh. the, the kick we've been on. So normally we just ner- we're just nerds. Normally we talk, <laughs> uh, you know, space and electric vehicles and tech. And uh, I mean, you're a pretty big nerd yourself. Like I am. You have am, almost actually. every Star Wars book. Yeah, almost. And then you have a ton of Batman comics. I have a ton of Batman comics. You're a huge Batman fan. I am. Huge Batman fan. Not necessarily DC fan, because I have Marvel um, comics also. Right, right. Um, Specifically, I'm a Batman fan. That's cool. And um, at work, my Uh nickname is Batman. Nice. Yeah, but that is, I always tell, you know, it's a cool story how I got that nickname. Right. You know, when you're in military and law enforcement, you get nicknames, but it's usually named after something you screwed up. Yeah. Like, and, I know uh, pilots in particular, fighter pilots, their call sign, n- normally they don't get it until they've made their first big mistake, and it's normally something to do. Exactly. With, so, uh, um, yeah, so they call me Batman at work. Yeah. So, I mean, I could tell that story later on if you guys wish. Yeah, yeah. But so, uh, you know, that kind of gives it away. You know, we've we've been on this kick for a couple of months now where we've been uh, throwing down the gauntlet to our... Uh, our listeners to get out and live a little and our, you know, kind of how we're prompting them to do that is to uh, get out and do this, uh, this go ruck event, the star course with us. And that's just led to a few different podcasts that are more uh, oriented to, uh, you know, prior service people. So we had Emily McCarthy from go ruck on, uh, who was a CIA case officer. Her husband who founded go ruck yeah. is as uh, a green beret. Uh, you know, of course we had uh, cadre DS on last week. I was, th- I thought he was saying Diaz. And I was really confused, like D-I-A-Z, Diaz. Nah, yeah. And then I saw his IG and it was D- literally the 
letter D and S. I was yeah. like, oh, I yeah. thought you were saying Diaz, but that's not your last name. And I was really confused. <laughs> and so uh, not intentional. We've wanted to have you on the show for, I mean, it's intentional that you're here, but we weren't like, hey, let's do a solid run of all like, uh, you know, current and prior service people talking about their service. But this is where it fell and we're, we're happy to have you here, man. Awesome. So uh, awesome. prior service Navy. Yes. Army and Navy. The Army and Navy and current law enforcement. And I've known you for, I don't even know. Oh How man, long it's now. been years. And, I mean, uh, when we started going to the same church, yeah. and uh, you worked there, it's been been yeah. years. And John, you guys adopted Josh. You took me in. Yeah, <laughs> we we so, did. Uh, they told me my daughter came to me one time. She goes, "Squirrel needs a place to live." I'm like, <laughs> "We already have two dogs. I do not need a squirrel in the house." <laughs> You know, it's fantastic. Then, My nickname was Squirrel for a long time yeah. in middle and high school. And yeah. much like real squirrels, you feed them, you'll never get rid of them. And, no, and that's no. what it was, bro. You guys bro. fed him and some rice and beans or arroz con pollo, yeah. and now you're stuck with him. Dude. Yeah, and he multiplies because he, now he brings a mate with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what happens. You guys so. literally threw our, our engagement party. It was awesome. That's right. We yeah. did. It was. Uh, oh, we, we're very happy. We're proud of you. Yeah, And thank we're you. very happy. And you picked a wonderful life mate. She's she's way better than I will way ever better. be. <laughs> yeah, like leaps and bounds. Yeah. Like oh, she, that's a good I think thing. she goes to bed every night going, "Why? Why?" <laughs> she, it's she a good right thing now. you always pick somebody that's going to elevate you, right? Yes. right. And she definitely elevates yeah. you. Thank well, you. let's let's get into it. Let's talk about how we got here. But first, uh, let's uh, crack open these Jocko Ghosts. Nice. This is your first one, right? This is my nice cold. Actually, this is my second one. Second. What, what flavor did you have the first time? Um, the first one, I want to say, it was something like lime. Okay, citrus, cit- like, yeah, like, like the lemon citrus, lime yeah. type deal. I, I, so, it wasn't. Cheers, gentlemen. Awesome. Cheers. So Ed and I are drinking orange afterburner. Yeah, yes. let's try this one. Uh, no, I should. I didn't tell you. I offered you flavors, and I didn't tell you that the sour apple is actually named sour apple sniper. Really? It, that I'll, I did not know. I'll send you home with one. It would have been more appropriate. I'll send you home with. All one. All right, cool. So, uh, but uh, what do you think of it? Tastes good. It tastes good. It has a um, weird aftertaste. Oh, does it, Kale? Look at that. <laughs> so it's, a, yeah. it's sweetened with monk fruit instead of garbage, and it's not a it's not a <laughs> crazy garbage. amount of uh, of caffeine like other drinks. Right. So uh, yeah, I mean, it like it it took me like a couple cans to get used to him, but now I can chug them and not taste it so, as bad. Well, but, what gives you the energy? Uh, there's uh, there's electrolytes in there. there. There is some caffeine, but it's only like a cup of coffee. So this has like uh, 90 milligrams versus like 300 and some of the others. So okay. you don't get jittery. So they, they throw some other goodies in there and some new tropics. And uh, I like it better than, uh, I mean, I like the taste of Red Bull. It's not bad. But uh, this, like, I do get the, the pick-me-up. Like, I feel awake, and but I never get the crash. And uh, it just, it feels different. It's not like noticeably, oh, my gosh, I'm on crack. Right. But it's like, oh, yeah, I feel I like we can do this. All right, yeah. Let's get back to work. That's cool. It's more yeah. natural. Then. So, and they, um, you know, very happily don't give us a dime of support. I'm not even, I don't even <laughs> think they know we exist, but we support them. Someday they will be a sponsor. And so we're Jocko has brought to you. viewed one of our stories. He's, he he's yeah. at least knows and has briefly seen it. And then he was like, nah, nah. <laughs> These so, boys are getting after it. The, we, uh, we told our Patreon supporters this. We haven't said this on the podcast yet. We have, we have put in, we submitted our little, little packet to hopefully become uh, brand ambassadors for Origin and Jocko Go, which at that point, we'd have a little promo code for everybody, and all your purchases would help support the podcast. So well, nice. it's in the works, so so we'll see. Now, 
You, sir, obviously this is an audio-only podcast, but you definitely don't sound like you're from Florida. I don't know what a person from Florida sounds like, but you ain't it. Hey, so. y'all. I got an alligator. <laughs> you know, that ain't that. I mean, maybe in the panhandle you get a little southern yeah, draw, but down here you're More saying, north of yeah, central Florida yeah. in the Palaka. So, uh, yeah, normally I get, um, as when I'm talking to people and stuff, they just look at me and say, what part of New York you're from, <laughs> you know, cause they already know I'm from New York. Yes. Uh, so yes, I'm originally from New York. I'm of Puerto Rican descent. I was born in Manhattan. I in Mount Sinai. Um, I lived in Del Barrio, which is Spanish Harlem. Right. Um, 110th and Lexington to be exact. That's where I hang, hung out a lot. Um, and then I lived in the Bronx. So I was between, because my mom and my grandparents lived in the Bronx. And my aunt lived in Manhattan. My aunt was my babysitter. So I used to go to school in the Bronx, jump on the train, go to the barrio, and then get off and spend my days there. So I was back and forth. So I'm a Bronx kid in Westchester Square area, yeah. and I'm a Manhattan kid from El Barrio. Now, are you one of these people who's like, yeah, New York's what's up? Or you're like, thank God I got out of there. Yes, especially now, the way things are going up there. <laughs> oh, that ain't no lie. Dude, that I was up there me. in January, and it was sad. It wasn't New York anymore. It was... No, it, 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 it makes me mad, actually. My brother's still up there, and he's he's upset. Mm. But it's just like, you know, because it was a time when you said you're from New York, and, you know, you know, people always say that you're, you're, I'm from New York, you know, trying to instill a little intimidation or something. And a lot of people will be like, you know, give New Yorkers a, a wide berth when they're yeah. walking around and stuff. But now it's like, you know, I'm from New York. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I see you got your skirt on, or you know, <laughs> I see you got your your, your little sand, ballerina sandals yeah. on and stuff. But it's like uh, I tell people, I say, you know what? I'm your worst nightwear. I'm a Puerto Rican from New York and from the dirty South. So mm. you know, it's uh, I'll go off on you in a New York minute, and they won't find you. Cause that's how we do it in the South. <laughs> now, awesome. is it what? What is it with? Uh I don't know if this is politically correct, the woke way to wear this. What is it with Puerto Ricans in New York? Why are so many of you in and from New York? You know what? The funny thing is, if, you are, if you're in New York or in Puerto Rico and you talk about the biggest town of Puerto Rico, all right? And Puerto Rico is divided into towns. I believe there's 67 towns in Puerto Rico. Um, I also lived in, in Puerto Rico my teenage years. So, you know, that's why I'm more... Um, knowledgeable of my puerto rican roots um but you know when you talk about the biggest town of puerto rico everybody says new york yeah that's and right. i've always heard it as a as a cuba joke like the biggest town in cuba is miami yeah exactly yeah. it's more or less the same thing and, and that, that's what it is it's like you know everybody just automatically went to new york because new york is the birthplace of um um all-star salsa Okay, and that's when Celia Cruz, Willie Colon, Ruben Blades, Hector Lavoe, they all created, got together and created like this label, All Stars, you know? So then they call that the old guard. So, but that was in New York. It's like every Puerto Rican artist or salsa artist wanted to make it big, you gotta make it in New York. Um, then after that, it's just, you know, just people just come and started going New York, New York, New York, and then they started multiplying over there. Yeah. So they're saying, you know, New York is the biggest town of Puerto Rico. And, you know, they probably have as many Puerto Ricans in New York than they have in the island. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's really crazy. And then after that, I found out that Puerto Ricans ventured other places too. Like, for example, Ohio. I believe it's Ohio. There's a place in Ohio called Lorraine, Ohio. And I found out that that's a big Puerto Rican community. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's buzzing somewhere. <laughs> Scam. 
Always. Yes. They'd yep. like to talk to you about your uh, extended warranty. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Extended warranty. Or Dude, I'm getting dealership. texts now from like emails. And it's like weird character yes. emails. And it's obviously a very obvious. Is that at spam. one or two o'clock in the morning? I've gotten them at that time. I got one, I think, on the drive over here. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, do you guys, who's falling for this? Who goes, huh? Oh, yeah, I'm going to click this. Exactly. But well, you'll be surprised how many people fall for it. Yeah, I guess you're You'll right. You'll be surprised. Yeah, I, I, you got to assume it's a numbers game. Like, there's got to be enough. At the volume they're doing, there's got to be enough people I going did, for it. Um, a couple months ago, my neighbor had a crazy scam happen to her. Um, she's an older, uh, I think, Puerto Rican lady. Um, and she, I came home one day, and I saw a bunch of cops outside of, like, kind of near our building. And they were in her apartment with flashlights and stuff. And so I walked, I had to go by her door to get to my door. And I was like, is, it, is everything all right? And one cop just walked by me like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, well, you're searching around there. I feel like I have, a, a, it's okay for me to ask. I don't, I don't know what you, your thought would be like. I yeah. could see them being annoyed. Like there's really not a threat. Just go away. But like, there's still like that level of my door is five feet from her door. I'd like just to be aware, like whatever. Yeah. So then as a cop was coming out, another cop was coming out, closing, locking her door. And I was like, is she all right? Is everything? And he's like, do you know her? And I was like, I mean, kind of, she's my neighbor. And then, uh, he's like, when's the last time you've seen her? And I was like, well, I think this morning, whatever. And so he's like, okay, weird. Um, and he's like, can I get your name and number or whatever? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so then he took it and then he's talking to these two other women over on the street. So I went up to my apartment, told Kira what I saw. I was like, my car has been parked out front most because it was a Monday. So I was off all day. So my car is parked out front and then I have a dash cam that records anytime there's motion that goes by. So I was like, I wonder nice. if it caught like if she got walked by or whatever or and so i go get the sd card go back into the apartment scrubbing through it has most of the day like usually if the wind blows and a tree moves it'll record it for like 30 seconds and so kira she's like what if we see her getting dragged out and i'm like okay like you i don't think that's gonna solve happen. a crime <laughs> i'm like dude bring so much money uh and then we did see her like walking out her dog at like four in the morning which is interesting uh and then i we saw her sweeping on her porch at like 10 a.m and then i think she walked by at like i don't even remember what time so then i saved those little clips walked it back into the cops like hey this is weird i had my laptop with me and this is weird but i have a dash cam in my car and i think i saw the last couple times she was here and the two ladies ended up being her daughters show them the clips and then they were freaking out like why is she home she should be at work today a couple days later find out um her daughter walks out uh, we had seen the woman's car back at the apartment again. So she somehow had come back days later. So the, the daughter saw me walking again with Kuma uh, and she came up to me. She's like, Hey, thank you so much for what you did the other night. Um, and I was like, what happened? She, she got a call uh, that some guy said they had kidnapped her daughter uh, yeah, and they, she needed well. to show up to a place with money. She ended up spending like thousand dollars on like a room mm. somewhere stay. And she like was out super far and he like somehow was calling also the daughter. So he was able to show the mom voice messages of the daughter or something. So the mom just believed it. Uh, and it was crazy, but they were able to like get, find her and tell her like, no, your daughters are fine. Whatever. Yada, yada. But yeah, that's, uh, they did that to my brother one time. They yeah. called him and said, you know, Hey, we have your brother. He got into an accident with us. We're going to kill him. You don't even pay us money. And my brother's like, what you have, you know, Ed, yeah, yeah, we have Ed, we have Ed, you know? And then he realized, I just gave him the names, you know? Yeah. So he's like, I doubt it. He goes, why? Because if you would try to kidnap him, you wouldn't be talking to me right now because you would be dead. Yeah. You know, so the guy hung up on him. So then he started calling me. I worked midnight at that time, so I wasn't picking up the phone. Uh -huh. So he called my wife at work, you know, she drove home 
to see if I was at home. She comes in, I'm like, yeah, I'm home. What, what's the deal? So then she called him back and then they told me what happened. Then the guy called him back. So then my brother played with him a little more and then gave up, you know, he gave it. Listen, I know there's a scam, this and that, you know, forget you, this and that. But then my brother has, or he had like an app where he could text you a message a thousand times. Oh, that per- that person should be shot. So then, <laughs> so then he went ahead and cussed the guy out on the phone uh-huh. and sent it to him five thousand times. Oh man! So then that phone kept going. So then he every now and then he would get a a reply. Stop! You know, okay, we're done. You know, please stop. You know, That's and then funny. he just kept on going and kept on going. He's like, never heard from him again. But good. He probably blew up his phone with those texts. Probably shoot, uh, shut it down. The phone. Yeah. Man, probably, that's fantastic. But, yeah. Yeah, that's, but it's a scam. I, I've, I've responded to a lot of calls like that too. People freaking out. Yeah. They have my daughter. They have my son. So it's, you know. Are there like telltale signs that when like that it's, okay, this is obvious a scam or versus it being a real kidnapping? Are there like simple things you can spot? Um, it, it is because one is um, they don't give you the, the person's name. You know, I'll ask, like, let's say if it's you and I'll interview you and like, okay, tell me exactly what they said, you know? So then they tell me, they tell me, I said, okay, did they tell you your daughter's name or your son's name? Mm. Or did you ask, do you have Billy or do mm-hmm. you have Susie? You know, they're like, I think I asked them if they had, you know, so-and-so. I'm like, That's how they got the name. Mm-hmm. You know how we could figure this out? Okay. You're here with somebody else, right? Keep talking to them on the phone. You call whoever it is that they're saying that is kidnapped. And see what it is. And then they call them, they get them on the other line. Yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? You know? Mm. I said, it's a scam. Wow. You know, but, you know, we've, like I said, we've gotten the calls where they're already at the store getting ready to go buy the gift cards to send them Jeez. the gift card. Because that's how they do it. You know, they tell you, give me a, a, a gift card, you know, like one of those cash cards, a green dot, I think it's called, something like that. Mm. And, um, you know, give me the, the code in the back. Because then what they could do is they just get online with that code. They don't need the physical card. Mm. They could just cash it out with that. That's crazy. I hate people like this. I know. It's, it's, they're a bunch of parasites is what yeah. it is. Jeez. Gosh, it's the worst. So uh, born in, born in New York, you're in Puerto Rico. Like how, like how long? Up through high school or? Uh, yeah, um, I was in Puerto Rico. I live, um, I come from a divorced parents. Yeah. So I, I lived with my mom and my grandmother because my mom had to work and she had like three jobs just to support. I was a little chubby kid, so I ate a lot. <laughs> so um, uh, the bad thing about that is I was always by myself, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I would get home from school. I'm dying. It's go fine. go straight home, you know, change, and then hit the streets. Yeah. So then I would just be in the streets all day long. You know, I used to sometimes be by myself, sometimes hang with the wrong crowd. Um, you know, I was an errand boy for one of those crowds one time. You know, hey, kid, here's, here's five bucks. Go uh, go take this over here and give it to so-and-so, and then you could keep the $5. I'm like, okay. So I saw the $5. All I pictured was I could buy comic books. Yeah. So then that's what I was doing. So my mom is like, uh, I, I can't I can't do this because you're gonna get lost out here and stuff. As in, you know, I'm gonna go down the wrong path. Right. So then um she talked to my father and then my father said, Well send him send him to me to Puerto Rico. So then um he was over there and then while I was over there, he asked me if I wanted to stay. I didn't want to stay, I wanted to be with mommy. <sighs> right. You know? But I had cousins in Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico I was never by myself. So that's how they were able to lure me to Puerto Rico. Right. My mom didn't want to let me go. She was hesitant, but then she realized, you know, he's either going to get killed out here or something. So send me to PR. And that's how I ended up in PR. So then I grew up my teenage years in PR. So I was 11 years old when I moved to PR. Okay. And I was an outcast in PR. 
because in PR they call me gringo. So just because, yeah, exactly. Just because I speak English, then you know they they they'd say I'm 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 a gringo. I'm not Puerto Rican. Right. So then, um, but they loved it because in school in English class I used to help everybody do their work. Yeah. And they all were getting A's. You know, because over there, the Eng- at that level, the English class is all ele- elementary stuff, you know. Right. Um, a lot of times I used to get into arguments with the teacher saying, that's not how you say it. You know, you say it like this, not like that, you know. Yeah. But sometimes I was wrong because the way they teach you in English class is the proper way of saying things. I was used to the slang way, you know. So, yeah. so we, while we would get into these this, this heated discussions with, with the teacher in English and everybody's just looking at us like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, when I was in high school taking Spanish, uh, this is in uh, is here in Central Florida, so I, I took all the way up through dual enrollment. I still can't speak a lick of Spanish, but uh, there was a kid that showed up like an exchange student, or maybe he moved here. I can't remember, but he was from like Spain proper. So this kid spoke Castilian oh, yeah. Spanish, right? Yep. Um, so he like he's helping people with their work and their papers, or whatever. And very quickly into that first nine weeks, we realized, oh, like he's it's same thing like he yes he speaks spanish yes he's from spain like his grammar like it's just like somebody who speaks english that isn't good in english class this was this kid with spanish so here's all these kids who are like you know used to perfect grades and they're in honors and dual enrollment and all of a sudden you know they're getting a c on something because this kid helped them they're like (laughs) dummy i thought you were from yeah spain so that's funny you you've told crazy stories of when you were a kid in New York, how you'd you'd go down in the subways off the platform and down the tracks. Yes, you've yes. told some crazy stories from. I used to go um, to. I was in a Catholic school in in New York. Catholic schools in New York, I think here also, but they um we dress business like basically. Right. I had gray slacks, white button down shirt. And then the tie usually coincided with the color of the girl's skirts, which usually plaid. So we had either green plaid or red plaid, you know, depending on what grade you're in. Because then, then they divide elementary, middle school. It's the same building, and you have elementary, middle school, and high school in the same building. Yeah. Just different floors. By your tie or the girl's skirts, they could tell what level you're at. So I used to take the train, the elevated train in the Bronx, which means that's the, the one that's above the road, right. the L. They call it the L. But that's the elevated train to go to Manhattan. So I used to get on in, in South um, South Bronx, that's where my school was at, by Hunts Point. I used to get on there and in a couple of stops, then it goes underground. Once it gets underground, every so often you have like a hub, all right? So you have one train station and that's just, you know, you get off of that area only. When you get to the hub, that's your multi-levels, you could go east, west, north, south, right. you know, going different directions. So the first hub was 125th Street. 125th Street, I used to get off the train, wait till the train takes off, and then I'll start walking towards the end of the platform and then go down the stairs and get on the tracks itself. So then what I used to do, always making sure, because everybody in New York knows, don't touch the third rail, you know, because that's where the electricity is. That's a real thing, right? That's not just a myth, that's real? Yeah, that's a real thing, yeah. Sometimes when you're standing the platform and the train on the other side goes by, you see the sparks Mm. going out because when it goes from, because that's, you know, that's not one long continuous piece, there's sections. Mm. So that's just, as it skips the sections, I guess the metal contact and creates sparks. So Mm. it's it's pretty freaky. And every now and then you see a rat that'll get on it and... See ya. 
Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, I used to get into the in the subway and then just walk down. The, um, you had 125th Street, then you had 116th and 110th. So I would only walk two um, stops. Um, but the thing is, once you get down there and the railroad tracks, bro, that's a completely different world, bro. Yeah. Talk about Ninja Turtles. <laughs> you know, and one time I came across an, uh, a homeless encampment and I got chased by them. Because they were like, you know, hey, you little, get over here. And he was like, what? Pew. So I'm running, you know. And and, and one of them was chasing me. I don't know if he was messing with me or he was try, really trying to catch me. Do you think, I, I would imagine homeless people, why would, do they really care about a little 11-year-old kid walking by? No, they, they really don't. So they either, like I said, one is either, you know, they wanted to eat me. Mm. Two, they, uh, you know, wanted to rob me. Or three, they wanted to scare the crap out of me so I don't come down there again. Right. Because they you could, could tell put, someone. And then exactly. Come, yeah. yeah. And a lot of them, you know, over there, once they find a place where they could hold up, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, this is my territory. Yeah. You know, get away from here. Don't, you know, don't mess with my stuff. So then, yeah, so I used to walk. But the problem is I had a white shirt. Uh-huh. By the time I got to my aunt's house, my aunt was like, oh, my God. God, your mother's gonna kill you. Give me that shirt. So she would take off the shirt, throw it in the washer real quick. Yeah. Because walking in the railroad tracks when the train would come, I would get against the I was I was scared, you know? Yeah. I was scared I'm gonna get run over, but still I would go down the track. So go figure. Yeah. But I would go ahead and just hug the the either one of the the pylons or I would just lean against the 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 wall. Well, that's filthy down there. It's Jeez. just filthy. Yeah. What so. is, what's the craziest thing you've seen down there besides the homeless? Anything nuts? Um, no, not really. You know, I've always, I was always looking for a dead body. You know, I figured I always come across a dead body. Never did. Uh, all I saw was just these big old New York rats, bro, that they looked like, uh. like possums. You know, if they, they were here, people would think there was a possum. One time a rat came on running out of the sewer and it hit me in my leg. And you know, when somebody hits you in the back of your knee, it buckles yeah. your knee, that rat buckled my, my knee. Wow. That's how big it was. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, That's what disgusting. The? Yeah, that was, and they're, they're nasty. They're nasty. They'll you corner them. They'll be like, then come after you, bro. It's, It'll be like a good wrestling match. You eleven year old little boy in a giant New York <laughs> and sewer. a giant New York sewer rat. But yeah, so that was uh, that that was one of the crazy things. And my mom just found that out when I became an adult. She's like, oh my god, don't tell me you used to do that. And I said, yeah, you know the shirts that you know um, used to disappear is because my aunt couldn't get them cleaned. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, but then my aunt wouldn't, wouldn't say nothing to my mom. She would just wash it for me, and you know, so she would cover for me. Right. That's a solid aunt right there. Yeah, that's yeah. a solid aunt. Yeah, that's a keep her. <laughs> so you went to Puerto Rico. When did you leave Puerto Rico and come back to the States, or did you join the service? From I, there? Uh, I went to Puerto Rico when I was 11 years old. I lived there until I was 18. Mm-hmm. And then um, my stepmom got a job offer over here making double what she was making in Puerto Rico. Nice. So then my father was in the Navy and he trained here at the NTC, Orlando NTC, mm-hmm. when the Navy base was here right. in Orlando. So he's like, well, I know about Orlando. I was there doing training. You know, it's a nice place. So, you know, long story short, you know, they come over here and it's like, yeah, she got the job. So yeah, we're moving over here. The problem with that is, and that's what made me a little rebellious. Um, I was in high school. I was in my senior year. Oh. And my father wanted to move, and it was December of mm. my senior oh year. My so I'm like, let yeah. me stay here. Let That's me let me finish. Yeah. You know, I I live with grandma. You know, I'll help out grandma. I do anyway. You know, yeah. help her out with the yard and all that stuff. You know, I'll do everything. 
But he's like, no, 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 no. Because they were always scared that I was going to get some girl pregnant and yeah. get married or whatever, you know? So they're like, no, 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 you're going to, to with us. So I came here in December of 1987. Um, and then I went to Boone High School mm. and I graduated in May of 88. So I'm not in the yearbook. Um, I'm nowhere, you know. You go, you, I don't know if you're even going to find records that I was there. Wow. You know, yeah, so I'm not in the yearbook or nothing. So it's like, you know, people ask me, hey, do you ever go to your class reunions? I say, they don't know I exist. Dude, mine was during COVID last year. I don't know what they decided to do. My tenure uh, was in COVID. Yeah. So, and, and from what I understand is they get your name out of the yearbook and that's how they, they send invitations yeah. or something like that. Mm. I'm not in the yearbook. So, yeah. you know, so, and that's, and that created a little rebellious because I was always fighting in school. Oh, wow. I was one of 12 Puerto Ricans at the time. That's so hard to imagine in Central Florida. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was just like, <laughs> You know, but it wasn't Kissimmee. Yeah. Because, you know, we talk about New York. A lot of Puerto Ricans go there. When Puerto Ricans come to Florida, they go straight to Kissimmee. Yes, they do. My father, when he was getting ready to move over here, his cousin lived here. And his cousin was a realtor. So he tasked him with, hey, find me a house. Yeah. So he found him a house in Kissimmee in, in Lake Bonavista. Lake Bonavista. So then um, found him a house. So my father picked him up at the airport, takes him there. My father gets to the house. He's looking around. He gets out the car. Doesn't, hasn't, doesn't, not even fully out of the car. He's looking around and he tells my cousin, get me the hell out of here. This is why I'm leaving Puerto Rico. And you're bringing me here to another Puerto Rico. He goes, get me the hell out of here. He says, take me to where white people live. That's funny. <laughs> and that's how we ended up in the Conway area off of Curry Ford. Nice. Yeah, and we were the first Puerto Rican family there. And a teacher from Boone High was the one that rented the house to my parents. So then he, he wasn't my teacher, but he was a teacher at Boone High. And that's how they found out about that's the school I was supposed to go to. So that's how I ended up being a Boone Brave. Go Braves. <laughs> Actually, you, can't, you probably can't be Braves anymore. I think it's offensive. You know what? Well, they're exactly. in the World Series right now. So. <laughs> yes. I saw a great, because uh, it's them and uh, the Astros, right? Braves and Astros. Yep. So it's like, you know, the MLB moved the All-Star game out of Georgia for woke causes really yeah so now you've got the braves we're from georgia yes and uh you've got houston which uh you know none of the woke crowds happy with texas so it's like what do you do now mlb <laughs> it's, the, it's the me with that superhero like can't decide which button he wants to press yeah <laughs> that's crazy uh, but... good luck with that so so then you're back here you graduate high school what do you so do? then i'm back here i graduate high school and then I decided to take a year off, like you know, almost everybody does before they go to college. Yeah. I wanted to go to college, and I was thinking about um, studying physical therapy. And um, I started college um, in Valencia, and I was applying to the physical therapy school in UCF, and I got accepted. But that's going a little too far. Um, in that one year that I was off, um, I, w I didn't know what to do with my life. You know, I was like, you know, what the heck am I going to do? Um, and then I worked for my father. My father was in the um, auto import and export business. He mostly concentrating on um, selling emergency equipment vehicles to South America. So he had a lot of contacts in like Ecuador and um, Colombia. And then what he would do is here in the U.S., you know, we have certain um, schedules that they follow for maintenance on, on certain right. stuff, especially for public safety. Um and after a certain year of mileage, they retire the equipment. But the equipment is still good, you know? I mean, that equipment in 
Puerto Rico and South America would be brand new. Yeah. So my father, my father would buy it and then he would sell it to municipalities in South America or in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So then um, I worked for my father um, in his little dealership. He had like a little dealership and he on the side, he would sell some cars. And then, you know, he had a mechanic that would do some work. I did the oil changes. I did the wheel balancing and stuff. But then I also had to do the cleaning. So we had, we had a parrot. Okay. His name was Rockefeller. And Rockefeller bit me. I got a scar in here somewhere. Wow. But yeah, he was a nasty bird. Well, he was a very messy bird. So mm-hmm. every morning I would come in and I would come into my father screaming, you got to clean this place up. That bird, this, 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 and that, you know? So I'm like, okay, you know? And then this one day I just, I wasn't having it. He came in. It's like 7.30 in the morning. My father's already screaming. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm looking at this bird. I opened up the bay doors, right? The bird wouldn't really wouldn't fly away you know so i would say that bird would disappear so oh, fast oh dude so i'm there i'm i'm you know, he had a lot of like like cobs the the bird we had a plate underneath him he had a perch and a plate and then in there we had um like little pieces of corn cob and that's where, you know, where he would do his mm-hmm. poop and stuff like that and but he would sometimes get in there and scoop it out so that's what i had to pick up so he's screaming, you know, and this bird is squawking and I'm cleaning and then I'm looking at, you know, the tires I got to change and stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know? <laughs> so I looked at the bird. I took the, the broom. I flung it at the bird. I think I even hit it. And the bird just flew out, never came back. I got in my beetle. I had a little 1966 Volkswagen bug. What color? Red. Mm. Got in it and I broom, took off. So last that I saw was I looked at my review mirror and my father was in the driveway with his hands up like, where were you going? I just kept on going and went straight to the recruiters on um, McGuire and 50. Mm -hmm. And then the recruiting station there, there was three of them. There was a Navy, Army, and Marines. So then I walk in there and I was going to go Navy because my father was Navy. So I figured, you know, that's what I know. So I was going there and when I went to open the door, it was locked, you know. So I knock, I knock, no answer. Then I hear a voice behind me saying, oh, can I help you? When I turn around, it was a lady in the army side. You know, it was like a hallway and they had like, you know. Right. So she goes, oh, oh yeah, the boys are not there. They're, they're probably going out to lunch or something. I mean, breakfast, probably went to breakfast. You know, the Navy, they, they kind of take it easy, she's saying, you know. <laughs> what can I, I do for you? I love that she's just there, just ready to poach the hallway. Oh, dude, she it's like she was sitting just watching the hallway. So then I'm like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll come back, you know. So she's like, well, wait a second. Come on, let's talk. You know, what What are you looking for? You know, so I told her. I said, I'm I'm done not doing nothing. I, I want to, she goes, have a seat, young man. So she goes, why do you want to join the Navy? So I told her. She's like, okay, uh, the legacy part about your father and stuff, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's not everything, though, you know. This is what you could do in the Army. Then she started showing me brochures. She turned on the TV, showing this little, and I'm like, okay. She goes, listen, let's take the test, right? No no harm, no foul. You know, you take the test, doesn't mean you're joining. It just lets me know what I could give you better information on what you're, you're qualified for. So I'm like, okay, no problem, you know. I took the test, and I did pretty well on it. Um, so then she comes out, oh, you did awesome. You know, this is the list of all the jobs you could do in the Army. So when I look, I mean, the list was long. Yeah. So I'm like, oh man, you know, um, you know, she said you could be a combat engineer, you know, you could be this, because I did good in the engineering section. Didn't do too good in the math section. Me and math don't don't jive. Same. Yeah. But then um I picked medic. 
oh, I want to be a medic. She goes, that's very good, you know. She goes, now we get serious. Now we start talking about this. Now I start bringing out papers. And then she's like, you know, but you can always wait for the Navy guys. And I'm like, no, she had me already. Hook, line, and sinker, yeah. you know? Isn't it crazy? Those two guys technically, like, altered your entire future. If they had been sitting there or if they didn't go out to breakfast, who exactly. knows where you'd be right now? Exactly. It's crazy to think about. It is. Little action, is. butterfly fact. So, yeah. But I remember her. Her name was Staff Sergeant Harold. She's, I'm sure she's way retired by now, but she was, she was awesome. Yeah. You know, at first I didn't realize that's or I funny, didn't. Because that's not the story you hear about recruiters. The yeah. story you hear about recruiters is they're the only people on the planet that used car salesmen don't trust. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like you do hear horror stories. Like, they'll sell you a bill of goods. Oh, they will. And especially, like, we, you know, we've had this focus on uh, SF and special operations here on the show lately. Like, there's so many guys that walk in thinking, I'm going to go do that. And hey, guess what? No, you're not. No, you're probably not. Like, just, <laughs> exactly. Just the odds. The odds are not in your favor there, Katniss. And so, um, but they'll they'll promise you your shot. They'll because they know like the second you get to buds and wash out, if you can even get through the prep phase, that you're you're going to the fleet. Exactly. You're, you're going to do whatever they tell you to do. Exactly. And so you hear a lot of stories like that where they'll promise you the world, and then when it doesn't come through, it's well, no, we're going to put you where we need you. Yep. A lot a lot of things that they do is basically like you know like if you're looking for a special forces billet or something like that, you know they'll tell you like especially now. Um, back in the day, the SEALs, that wasn't a rate, you know, it wasn't a, a job per se. Yeah. Uh, you had to be a gunner's mate or a master at arms, or you had to be a, a corpsman. Um, and then you could go to the SEALs, but now they made the SEALs a rate. Yeah. So now I believe it's SO, special operator. Yeah. So then like right when I was in the Navy, I was a master at arms, which is military police. But in the Navy, the way they do it is, um, your, your rank, so to say, because they put the rank and the, and your rate together. So I, I was MA1, Master at Arms First Class, because I was a Petty Officer First Class, which is an E6. So then um, with the rate in the SEALs, now it's SO. So you have SO1, SO2, SO3, yeah. which is the other way around. Three is first, then two, then one. And then you would have like SO Chief, stuff like that. Um, that just started several years ago. Um, but now SEALs have their own rate. So what they used to do is, if you wanted to be a SEAL, you would um, put in for, I want to be a SEAL. Okay, you got to pick a job first, and you have to sign all these paperwork first. Mm-hmm. We basically mean, then you go to SEAL school. You flunk SEAL school, you don't go home. Mm-hmm. You go to the fleet now. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of times, is they will put you on there as undesignated. Um, the rate was, um, I believe it was a utility man, which means you did whatever it was that they needed you to do. My father was one of those. Um, that's why at first he, he had a, a heartache with, with the Navy. He hated them for a while because he wanted to be a, uh, a dental assistant. You know, he was yeah. in, into teeth. And they told him, well, we don't have that opening yet, so you could go in as a um, utility man. And basically what he ended up doing was chipping and painting the, the ship he um he was a barber, he was a librarian, he was a store clerk. Um, but my father was a hustler when he was in the Navy. He was he was a hustler. He told me some of his stories and you know, it's 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 crazy. Yeah. The things he used to do. That's so then that's what they do is, you know, if you don't pass the, the 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 school, they send you back to the fleet and a lot of people get turned off because of that. Right. 
So, but you ended up, you know, in, in, you you stuck with the army. Like she yeah. got you, right? Yeah, she got me. I, I stuck in the army, and she told me she goes, "Don't worry, I'm gonna take care of you." And I think the difference is she was a a female recruiter as opposed to a male recruiter. Are you uh, sexist, sir? No, definitely not. <laughs> but I'm saying it's it's a female. Even though she's a, she was a soldier, you know, and and I've I've come across some female soldiers that I wouldn't mess with. You know, she still, yeah. <laughs> but she was, uh, she had like, I guess a, a motherly nurturing side of her right. and that's, you know, like she was actually looking out for the best for you. Which she is, wasn't, I exactly. wonder if she did. Right. Or if that's just like, her she was a killer a recruiter and yeah. that was her, you know, that's you true. walk in there feeling like mom is taking care of you. And then she and just she's got like, a big pay bump. <laughs> she, you're just another hash mark on yeah. the wall. Yeah. And with me, she got two more guys. Cause I sent two of my buddies to her Oh wow! and they both joined. So, but yeah, so then uh, I ended up that, that same day, did all the paperwork and stuff. She's like, okay, you know, I'll be calling you. I'll be keeping in touch with you. You got to go to the MEP station from here, do the physical and all that stuff and all that. Like, okay, no problem. She goes, I go home and, you know, I, I'll be calling you. I said, okay. So I went back to work. I pull up, my little bug, you know, put up to the front. I walk into my father's office and he looks at me and puts the phone down. He's like, where the heck did you go? I just put the packet on his desk and I went, grabbed the broom and started sweeping. And then he's like, then he comes back and he's like, wait, 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 wait a second. What did you do? Did you sign? I said, yeah, I signed. I'm ready. I'm leaving in two months. Wow. Yeah. So he's like, oh my God, wait. You know, so then now his tone completely changed yeah. and all that. I said, not too late, dad. I'm out. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in the army. Should got rid of that parrot, dad. <sighs> yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Was dad. it for the parrot? Well, uh, parrot. Parrot? Hello? Uh, parrot. Rockefeller. So where'd you do your basic? <laughs> so I did basic at Fort McClellan, Alabama. Um, Nothing like a Puerto Rican in the uh, middle of Alabama. Dude, it was crazy. I had a crazy drill sergeant, female drill sergeant, named uh, Drill Sergeant Jackson. I had D. Maroney. And at this point, what is this? Is this 90? This is 90. Okay. Yes, I joined. No, I'm sorry, 89. Okay. Because I joined. Um, so this I, is a very different military. You very different. To, like joining now. Oh, very yeah. different. It's There's no such thing as a stress card back yeah. then. You know, you guys know what stress cards are? I mean, I do, but for the listener's sake, why don't we explain <laughs> it to them? That joke lands every time. <laughs> Dude, he did that to Kadri Diaz, and he doesn't know really? Josh. So he's like, well, yeah, of course you know what your school is, but let me explain it since you asked. Yeah. And so I'm like, no, he didn't know, bro. He didn't yeah, know. he like I said quite a few little sarcastic comments here and there, and he, he did not pick up on my sarcasm. Like, that's cool, man. <laughs> so these stress cards, basically what it is, a recruit has a set of cards color-coded yeah and drill sergeants are screaming at them and if they feel stressed they take out the car that they feel they're the level at the i usually carry those around with me everywhere i go <laughs> yeah. and when someone's annoying me it's an annoying card <laughs> like at the red yes. <laughs> and that's how it is they bring yeah. out the red card and the drill sergeant has to season this what he's what is going on turn around and leave yeah that's a real thing you get a break you can talk to a counselor it's yeah, yeah. and they they did that for a while i'm not sure if they still do it now yeah I don't think so because I, I haven't heard no stories. Yeah, I think that started in the Clinton administration is when I remember first first hearing yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I'm like, what the heck? I saw it one time. I was on leave and I'm in the PX and I, and there's this drill sergeant just reaming a, a, a private. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember those days. You know, all of a sudden the drill sergeant in the middle of his screaming stops, turns around and walks away. So I was curious, you know. I was already a, a star sergeant by then, you know, yeah. but I wasn't civilian. I walk up to him, you know, you could look at me and you could, I have my high and tight still. So then I go, hey, drill, 
you know, because that's when you're in and you're sergeant or something, you know, the drill sergeants, all the sergeants don't re refer to each other as drill sergeant. They call them drill or yeah. sergeant, stuff like that. So I'm like, hey, drill. He turned to me. He gave me these glaring eyes. And then he just started coming at me, right? And I knew I was getting ready to get it because he had his knife hands out. You know, <laughs> this. When they go like this to you, that's it. And uh, I'm like, yo, 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 chill, drill, chill. I'm a sergeant, E5, I'm so-and-so. He's like, oh, okay. So he relaxed. You know, he probably thought I was a private. I'm like, what the heck was that? And then he just started going off these stress cards and this and that. Gosh, there, man. You know, he had a few choice words of, you know, how they're doing the military then. And, yeah. you know, we don't have men no more, this and that. And, <laughs> well, I mean, that's like, can you think of, do you, like, do you know the story of, like, Chesty Puller? Chesty was a Marine. Yes. in the Army. But, right, like, Chesty's Marines, Marines. There's the, at any given time, the Marines have a, an actual bulldog, an English bulldog, mm -hmm. ironically, in England. Maybe it's an American bulldog. I don't know what the breed is. But his, the bulldog's nickname is Chesty because of Chesty Puller. And so yes. you hear these stories, and I would just love to see, like, if you could transport somebody, not back in time, but bring Chesty forward oh. and put put him in boot camp as a, as a drill sergeant in the early 90s. And let let somebody no. try and oh. use their take a break card on Chesty Puller. Oh, you bro. you would need a medical team to extract that card from that individual. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, you but would. But then you look at why you know. Hey, why did we spend twenty years in Afghanistan and then leave with our tail between our legs? Because we because we have timeout cards instead of Chesty Pullers. Exactly, and that's and that's the problem. You know, one thing is you know we spent twenty years over there, and yeah, we had warriors that went over there and they did their job. You know. But it, it's just like, you know, I always equate it to, you know, like being in law enforcement, <clears throat> the people that you work for, the public and stuff like that, they call you for any little thing, you know, they, they'll send the soldiers, you know, or they, they'll, they'll call police because um, they want you to take out the trash. Yeah. You know, the, the human trash, whoever it is, whatever's going on, they want you to go handle it, mm -hmm. take out the trash, but they don't want to see how you do it. Mm. You know, they think everything is baby hands, baby hands. No. You know, it's, uh, you be nice, of course. You always be nice until it's time not to be nice. Mm. And if you could tell me where that came from, bro, you big, big points with me. <sighs> but you be nice until it's time to not be nice. And then you take care of business. Know, platoon? I don't know. I was going <laughs> to say training day. Roadhouse. Dalton. Nice. Yeah, when he was the cooler, uh, he was training his bouncers. Okay. okay. R.I.P. Okay. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> He's dead? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, cancer. Yeah, cancer. cancer. That was a long time ago, right? I think it was, uh, yeah, it was a while back. Um, I think I'm confusing with someone else in my mind right now, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, he was a rare breed, man. Somebody that could, uh, you know, dance like a graceful swan, but was a man's man. <laughs> exactly. Right? That you never, Don't. now the movie Roadhouse, the way he had his hair kind of like, oh, is this guy kind of, you know, like, but then, you know, you're like, then he goes off on that other dude. And so I so like, no, man, yeah. he's, he's a man's Brody. man. Brody. 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 I just think of Family Guy when they he did a whole episode and he just he round kick everyone in the head and go <laughs> Roadhouse. Well, that yeah. and when he did that Chippendale skit with Chris Farley on SNL, oh, it was one yeah. of the best that of was, all time. That was funny, that and was that's the thing though. He best. was always ready to to get down and yeah. act a fool. He he really didn't care. That's what probably made him a, a cool person. Well, and that's the thing. you saw that that turn. There's a hard pivot for you, but you saw that turn in Vietnam, where Vietnam's really the first time where it's like you're taking war and you're broadcasting it into America's living rooms. Yes, and it's not for. No. The everyday person like no. it. War is the, there's a reason the saying is war is hell. There's a reason there's there's sayings like let slip the dogs of war, 
right? It's not pretty. It is messy. There are accidents, which isn't to advocate for like atrocities, you know, things like, uh, you know, the My Lai massacre, that stuff shouldn't, shouldn't happen. Absolutely. Like you don't want to, you don't want to fall to the level of your enemy, right? When you're, when you're, when you're in the uniform that doesn't have, like if you're in a military right now and your uniform has like a skull and crossbones on it, you're probably on the wrong side. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, you know, if you're, if your face is in the head or covered up in black, you're probably, well, no, nah, there's balaclavas, but I mean, we all, we all get what I'm saying yeah. here, right? But if you want to say I, I'm the good guy and I'm not the aggressor, right? You don't want to fall to that level of thing, but then you can go too far the other direction where, uh, you know, like with our, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the, just the rules we were putting on our military, uh, especially in the latter half of the Iraq and Afghanistan and that's, wars. That's what hurts us. Mm-hmm. You know, the r- rules of engagement, uh, yeah. to, to me, they are not realistic. When you're the only one playing by the rules. Exactly. And again, that's there should be something there, right? It's not like, hey, there's a market full of people. We know there's some aggressors in there, so just mow them all down. No, no one's, no one's saying that. But when we were sending... America's husbands and fathers and sons and brothers uh, into war to do our dirty work, as you say. And it's if a combatant just threw their weapon down, if you couldn't image them, if you couldn't show proof that they were holding that gun that's laying on the ground, you can't fire on them. They were shooting at you two seconds ago. Exactly. And in the meantime, you take that shot and now uh, some some Jags are going to come investigate your at war. They're going to come investigate your shoot like it happened in downtown middle America. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's I'm sure you guys saw the movie Lone Survivor, yeah. you know, Marcus Luttrell. Yeah. I read the book. I saw the movie. The book was better. But, you know, the movie at least put it out there for a lot of people that did not read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that, you know, um, when they came across those goat herders, you know, mm-hmm. one of the options that they had was eliminate them. And we continue our mission, okay? The first thing that came out of the mouth is, you crazy? If that gets back to the States, we'll all be put away for, for murder, you know? Um, you know, we, we can't do that. We'll be tried and we, you know, we'll be burnt at the stake. Yeah. But that was one of, one of their, their worries. Um, everybody that's been in the military till then, the first thing out of this, you eliminate them. Eliminate them and continue the mission, you know? Um, or else they're going to compromise you. Well, they decided not to eliminate them. They let them go, and then look what happened. Yeah, and that's why, like, uh, for, we've been talking a lot about we're doing this this Chad 1000X workout, and we're, we're encouraging people to support that. And you can go to chad1000x.com, learn all about that. And we've got links to it on our website, too, if you want to learn about Chad. But we always reference Murph as, a, another, like, if, you, if you've never heard of a hero workout, you've probably heard of Murph. That's yes. a hero wad. Well, that workout is done in memory of Mike Murphy, who was the lieutenant on that operation exactly who was awarded the medal of honor posthumously because he put himself in clear line of fire to call for support for his men on that mission yeah, he knew he was going to die and, yeah you know that's that's a hero right there you know and not a hero because of what he did to me it's he's a hero because of who he did it for yeah mm-hmm. you know a lot of them like you know the old spartan proverb saying you know you you fight and you 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 know use your shield and your sword not to defend you to defend the guy to your left. Right. You know that's why they had the phalanx. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it's basically you fighting to defend the one behind you or one next to you, and he's fighting to defend you, and so right. on and so forth. He went out there because his guys were in danger of getting killed. Unfortunately, yeah, two of them did get killed. Two of them. Well, yeah, two and him. Two yeah. and him. Yeah, did get killed. Um, but he went out there knowing that he wasn't going to come back, yeah. and he did it. And, you know, um, 
I have to believe this is true. It was in the book. You know, they talk about everything. He kept his composure. He wasn't screaming into the phone. And at the end, he's like, thank you, sir. You know, yeah. and that's when he went down. Yeah, he's he's in the line of AK and RPG fire at that point. Jeez. And to hear Marcus Luttrell tells it, tells it, he ended that call, which they'd have that. I mean, that's that's not you're not just counting on Marcus's memory there. If that was on the radio, they've they've got it. He, exactly. he thanked him at the end of the call. Jeez. Yeah, so that was, but yeah, the, the hero wad is uh, the Murphy one, and I'm I'm glad to say I did the Murphy. Yeah. Now it took me two hours and forty five minutes. Hey, what is the Murph? Um, the Murph is basically you run a mile, you do it's a hundred pull-ups, mm-hmm. two hundred sit-ups, and three hundred. Can't remember what. Let's see pull-ups, sit-ups. I mean pull-ups, push-ups. I can't remember what the other exercise is, but I'm it's pulling it, it up. Oh, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, one mile run, a hundred push pull-ups, two hundred push-ups. 300 squats, 300 and then squats. another mile run. And then another mile and run. And a 20-pound vest or a body armor. Yes. Yeah. And then the, the way, and the one thing I liked about CrossFit, this is a CrossFit thing, is yeah. you know, you're not competing against another person. You're competing against yourself. Yeah. You know, so you do it for time. Okay. And then the next time you do it, you should have improved. Yeah. You this know? is what they do at Memorial every Memorial Day, right? Yeah, that one's every Memorial Day. And the company Forged is a clothing company. They do shirts and stuff, but they were uh, Forged is founded and operated by former SEALs, and they've kind of spearheaded it. So when you register to do the MERV and you get the shirts and stuff like that, it's through Ford. Yeah. Uh, and then I think there's a Michael P. Murphy Foundation that the the, the funds go to and stuff like that. And so Chad 1000X, real similar. So Go Ruck has come along. Chad's uh, widow. Uh, and they're kind of spearheading Chad 1000X. Uh, and then same same thing. So they kind of want, if Murph is Memorial Day, that Chad 1000X is Veterans Day. Right? Okay, awesome. So you crank out Chad 1000X and then that, mm-hmm. that's going to support, you know, um, research and awareness for, for veteran suicide and that type of thing. It's a really cool deal. They have the leaderboard on this Murph Challenge website. In 2021, the number one time, what do you think it is? You said you did it in two hours. Two hours and 45 minutes. What do you think the, the top number one time is in the world? Less than an hour. This junk says 13 minutes. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't know. I, don't I, know how I do you... have to see that. So listen, is it, that real? it depends, right? Like there's reps that count in CrossFit that don't count in a lot of the rest of the world. I want to see those squats. I want to see those pull-ups. If those are kipping pull-ups. Yeah, I want, like, because I think just true. me alone, it would take me 13 minutes to do maybe 50 pull-ups. And to do 100? And that that's, yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, when you do the pull-ups, it's like I had difficulty. I used to be a lot heavier, mm-hmm. and I used to have difficulty doing pull-ups. I could probably do 10 pull-ups at the most. Um, but then I started CrossFit. And they taught me how to do the kipping pull-ups. And all of a sudden, I'm busting out these pull-ups. I'm like, what? But the good thing is, you know, I could have done 25 kipping pull-ups, you know. But then that helped me bring up my regular pull-ups, which we called um, dead hang pull-ups. So you dead hang and you pull up. And, you know, back then, I I could, you know, pop out 20, 25 without stopping. Now, I want to be clear uh, because I'm intellectually honest here. Yeah, I've been going to OTF for a minute. You tell me, Kale, you got to do like... 
two, three dead hang pull-ups right now. I'm going to shoot you in the head. Just shoot me. Let's just save the time you shoot me. So I just want to be clear. Like, I'm not going to go crank out a hundred kipping pull-ups either. What is a kipping pull-up versus a regular pull-up? That's when you really kind of see them. You you go back and you swing forward. So you're using the momentum of your body and you kind of use your legs to to lift the weight up. So it's almost like an assist. You're doing work. It's hard. You start. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm sitting here saying kipping wouldn't count in a lot of the rest of the fitness and workout world. And it wouldn't. Sure. Like, everybody else in fitness and workout mocks the kipping pull-up. Up, right uh, which crossfit doesn't but that's why i'm like that 13 minute time those were kipping pull-ups oh definitely and you want to tell me those were 300 proper squats that's what i'm saying 13 minutes man. and then i checked 2020 because i'm like maybe that's all the data is not in so 2020 don marino a woman uh did it in 15 minutes that is crazy it's a man baby yeah the year before that uh it says gender men, but then the name is Jennifer. I mean, you think That's about if you're not a competitive. 19 minutes and If you're not a competitive runner, if you're just, you're a good runner. I'm not a competitive A six minute mile is a quick mile. Yeah. That is you, a quick mile. That's a 10 mile an hour pace. Six, yes. A six that, minute yeah. mile. So you're telling me, give them a six minute mile, which is a great time. But you have to do it twice. They did everything. That's what I'm saying. So they did everything else in three minutes. Right. That's why I'm I'm See, having a hard time. Yeah, so I'm having a hard time. Even you that, get but. down into world class. Okay, let me. I'll give you a four and a half minute mile. Right now, you're a collegiate runner. Yeah. I don't even think Rich Fronin could do that. And oh, what a beast he is! Oh, dude, Rich he is, is doing Rich is doing Chad 1000 X. So Sarah's. Uh, Sarah Wilkinson, Chad's uh, uh, Chad's widow, she's been big in the CrossFit space. I think run a gym for a long, long time. So a lot of people in that space know her. So Rich okay. is doing Chad 1000X. Which that's, is cool. that's awesome. So, uh, you know, and for people out there, if it, so have you heard us talk about what the Chad workout is? Yes. Okay. So um, we, uh, Mike Redacted and I, we, we got together and uh, this past Saturday, we went out to where your dad did his basic. We were out at Baldwin Park. Okay. We were at Blue Jacket Park. We're like, all right, we're going to crank out some step-ups, and we're going to do an eight-mile ruck as, as prep for uh, our star course. And, man, you start doing 20-inch step-ups with without weight on your back. You're huffing and puffing pretty quick. Yes. Pretty quick. But but the goal with Chad 1000X, next year, I'm, 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 I'm committing right now on air. Next year, full-blown. With weight, I'm doing Chad 1000X. I don't think I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'm going to do it with 45 pounds. I'm not putting that out there, but I'm going to do the full thing. But but without a star course right after, you're saying? Probably Chad without, alone, you'll do the 1,000. Unless Emily like guilts me into it, yes, <laughs> I will probably do them separately. But, um, uh, you know... The, the point is the awareness and, and supporting the cause, exactly. right? So yes. even now Mike Redacted, he he's a stud. He'll act like he couldn't, but he could probably crank out the whole thing and then do Star Course. But we're we're going to split it. Uh, you know, am I a little ashamed? Does it, is it an ego hit to me as a man that I'm not going to go do all 1,020-inch box tips? Yeah, but the point is, like, we, we're we just putting chat out there. We're supporting the cause. We're supporting Sarah. We're, we're supporting these these veterans who supported us, right? Like, it's easy to see somebody who came back without a limb or two yes. or three or, you know, if you're, if you're Travis Mills, four. Um, but uh, it's easy to see those wounds. It's easy to see a burn or a lost eye. It's not easy to see traumatic brain injury. It's not easy to see blast wave injury. It's not easy to see PTSD. And so exactly. then it doesn't get it doesn't get the attention. It doesn't. God knows the VA isn't doing enough about it. But there are organizations that are, and we want to do what we can to support. It's literally the least we can do. Of course, for these know, it's, vets, it's, right? To be losing to have lost more veterans to suicide than we lost to battle is just unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And you know, and you mentioned the VA. It's like you know, right now I have a battle with the VA, and 
I've lost total, complete respect for VA. VA doesn't do nothing yeah. for the veterans. But fortunately, we have other organizations that do. Yeah. A lot of these organizations are headed up by former VA employees. Mm. You know? That's cool. So that's that's a good thing because yeah. then they know the on uh, the, the ins and the outs and the do's and the don'ts. Right. You know, but unfortunately, you know, the doctors at the VA and the VA, you know, doctors work for the VA. Yeah. VA doesn't want to put out no money. So mm-hmm. the doctor would minimize whatever it is that your condition is mm-hmm. in order for the VA not to have to put out you know the your disability pay yeah. and stuff like that. Do you see John Stewart's new show on Apple TV? He like meets with I think uh, it was burn pits out in Afghanistan. A lot of people were getting like cancer, crazy, yes. just illness yeah. and sick, uh, whatever health issues from burn pits in Afghanistan. And so um, there's a ton of dudes that have tried to go through the VA, and the VA just does not recognize burn pits. And like it's cr- the episode's pretty cool. John Stewart like shows like you hear all the testimonials from the people what they're dealing with, and then like the VA knows it's a thing, but they don't acknowledge it at the same yeah. time. So he sits down face to face with the head of the VA, and like I thought did a pretty good job grilling him. Like I walked away from that episode going, "Yeah, the VA sucks." And yeah, it was yeah. really cool that John Stewart, he's a big name, to go put the v8s on such blast so i hope it it came out like a week ago yeah so hopefully it gained some traction and they have they get some fire under their butts well and it's a it's a mix right and i'm you know I, i'm saying all this secondhand you've experienced it firsthand yeah. but it's you have you know doctors and nurses and physical therapists and and psychologists who are good people and want to do good work and part of why they're there they could maybe be making more money working someplace other than for the va exactly. but they they want to help vets but it's this government organization so it's like you've got the medical side and you've got the bureaucracy making the calls and you've got congress setting setting the budget and so it's just a lot of times you've got good people who want to do good things but their hands are tied their resources are tied so I just want to be clear, like, I, I doubt we have any, you know, VA employees listening, but it's not a knock on the people who are there trying to do good work. Right. And a lot of times their work's harder because they're at the VA than, than maybe if they it's went the someplace itself. else. Yeah, the right, system right. itself. It's like right now my case, because I, I have a case manager now fighting the VA, but it's a private company I'm with. I have to pay them, you know. When you go to the VA and you do claims, you don't have to pay. Right. But, you know, yeah. uh, and he used to work for the VA. And he told me I had to leave. You know, he worked three years for the VA. He goes, I had to leave because I felt dirty at the end of the day going home, walking down the hallway, seeing these veterans that, you know, yeah, we have some veterans that will upplay a lot of things. Yeah. But then we have some veterans that are it's very serious, you know, what's going on. And he says, I felt dirty. I had to leave. I could not do it in good conscience do it, you know. So now he works for this private company. And it is, it's awesome. The company is yeah. awesome. Um, you know, the... Um, but the thing is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, we don't, he tells, you know, we, we start your case and stuff like that. Do not go to VA for nothing because they're going to write you off. Yeah. And I had a situation where that, that did happen. You know, it's like, you know, and it was, you know, over the phone, they called me just an interview. And then next thing you know, my percentage went down hmm. and he's like, what the heck happened? So, you know, he, I told him, well, yeah, they called me. He goes, that's what it was. So it was a doctor that did a diagnosis on me over the phone. And because of that, is Michael Vick out front <laughs> fighting your dog? Uh, we've got uh, we've got a ring doorbell, and I bought one of the ring chimes. And so when there's motion out front, it's barking dogs because I'm like, ah, if it's somebody doing something sketchy, oh. you know, maybe maybe they'll hear it. So, jeez, actually, I'm pretty sure. Thank God my son doesn't listen to the podcast, but my son turns uh, four this week. 
And we bought him an unreasonably uh, fancy and nice telescope for a four-year-old. Oh, this thing is really? awesome, and that's probably it sitting right at the front door. Oh, that's right cool. Now. Yeah. So. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I don't know if the microphones picked it up, but we heard like crazy dogs barking. Like yeah. It's, no, it's not like it's not like a pleasant like welcome home. No, dog it's like bark. A, it was yeah. Michael Vick's dogs. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's back the, there. I will eat your face. Um, um, so you're in the army. You did you go to Desert Storm at all? Yes, I was in the army. I did um, basic training in Fort McClellan. Alabama. Then I did my AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training. Is that, that's what MOS is now. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, actually, the, your MOS is Military Occupational Specialty. Yeah. AIT is Advanced Individual Training, which means, you know, we all went to basic together, but you could have a different MOS. You do, you do. Now we go switch, ship out to our AIT location. Right. I was in aviation mm-hmm. because um, when I went, I told you originally I wanted to be a medic. When I went um, to the MEP station, they didn't have no billets open for medics. So then I went from, you know, having a list of, you know, 60 jobs I could do down to four jobs. Mm. So then that's one of the things. And I had a heartache with that, but I mean, what the heck? And one of them was flight operator. Yeah. So um, they seduced me with the helicopters that I could ride helicopters. I thought that would be cool. I'm like, yeah, I want to ride helicopters. I'll be a flight operator. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot. You know, it was, it was pretty neat. You know, we work. A lot of people are like, is that traffic control? No, that you have the tower and the airport. Traffic control is on top. Flight operators are in the bottom. We're the ones that will prepare the flight plans um, and all the other stuff, the weather and all that. Yeah. And then we report it to the pilots. And then the actual traffic controllers just deal with the pilots themselves. Um, and I was um, assigned to a medevac unit. So I was with the 145th Medical Detachment out of Atlanta, Georgia, because um, this was a reserve unit that got activated. Mm-hmm. So I, that's when I was up in, in Fort Benning. And then we used to do a lot of, um, we supported medical support for the Ranger School and all the other schools in Fort Benning, because Fort Benning is a training fort. All the other schools there, you know, Ranger School. And then um, we sent a team with the Rangers um, for all their three phases. So you have... Um, ranger school you have the mountain phase you have the swamp phase and you have the jungle phase they would do the jungle phase in Fort Benning mm-hmm. they would go to Dahlonega to do the mountain phase and then come down to, to Florida for the swamp phase and we had um, a crew with them one up in Dahlonega one down here in, in Florida and one in, in Georgia mm-hmm. in, in Benning so then um, and that was pretty cool because that's where you know um, I would fill out the nine line you know, nine line is basically a form and it's nine lines. So if you call How for a medevac. that name? Because of the nine okay. lines. <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, I would fill out that form, you know, when a medevac come out in the middle of the night, you hit the alarm, the crew gets up, you know, the, the co-pilot and the crew chief run out to the helicopter, get it ready. The pilot and the medic comes to me. Mm-hmm. All right. By this time, by the time they're getting all ready and stuff, I already have everything on the nine line. You know, that it's just nine questions that I got to ask. You got to give me coordinates, you know, condition, all this stuff where you're at. And then my counter basically is like as big as, as this table, you know, but an L shape. And um, it had plexiglass and a map at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It was a map of the fort. So then I would set up the flight plan and all that, put out the nine line. When the pilot comes to me, I give him the flight plan. Tell him what he's got, where I'm having him fly through. And then I'll give the nine line to the medic. And the medic looks and see what is he going into like that. He get prepared what to do. 
um, and then the pilot look at the flight plan, and they always have the last say. So you know they mm-hmm. would approve it. This good to go. Uh, awesome. As soon as he said that, they they run out. I get on the horn on on the radio and start calling all the active ranges. Shut down, shut down, shut down. We're flying medevac through. You know, so we had you know we had airborne school. You know, where you have people jumping out of planes. Um, we had um, tank school, infantry. You know, we had. Um, field artillery, you know, they're, and they're throwing bombs and, you know, all that stuff around. Yeah. We can't have a helicopter flying through that, so we had to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And But it was cool because you get on the net, you call out your, your call sign. As soon as you call your, your call sign, you know, you're, we're, we're dust off. We call it out. Everybody stops what they're doing and they listen. Mm. And then we tell them, we're flying through this, this, this. I need range so-and-so, range so-and-so to shut down. You know? And oh, then wow. acknowledge, and they'll come back, acknowledge, roger that. And then I let them, you're good to go. And then... They will take off and do that. And then when they come back, I call back and say, hey, you guys are good to go. And then they open up the ranges again. Wow. So that was that was my job. It was a pretty neat job, you know. Yeah, that's cool. I got to fly in the helicopters. Nice. You know, the, the first time I flew in the helicopter, I guess this was an initiation because when I got up there, the uh, the chief warrant officers, those were our pilots, chief warrant officers, they say, uh, hey, Santos, you ever been um, up in a, in a plane and in a helicopter? And I'm like, uh, no, I, I want to go. He goes, come on, let's go. We got to do uh, flight training. We got to do some training. We're going to fly map of the earth. I did not know what map of the earth was. So I'm sitting in a Huey. We had Huey. Mm. You know, Vietnam era Hueys, you yeah. know. I'm sure they were newer than that. But uh, the Huey is one of the best helicopters out there. It's a workhorse. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, a lot of time when and during Desert Storm, a lot of our Blackhawks were going down because the turbine was sucking in too much sand. Mm. And the Hueys were flying right through wow. sand sandstorms with no issues. Um, so then they sent me in, in the Huey. Now the Huey has this section called the Hell Hole, which is on the side of the helicopter. There's a seat, little jump seat where you sit there. Yeah. If you're sitting there, you got to fly with the doors open because you can't close the door because your knees are in the way. Mm. So that's when, so they sat me in the hell hole. All right, so you, you sit in the sand, in the hell hole. I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, damn, you're right there at the edge. Okay, but I'm, I'm belted in, no problem. All right, he goes, <laughs> okay, what we're doing is called map of the earth. Now map of the earth is, they fly as low as they can. A lot of times it's treetop level doing, you know, and for bending is a lot of trees, treetop level. And when they come in the opening, they come down, you know, on the opening as, as low as they can. And that's map of the earth. And when they're banking right, that's where the hellhole was at, on the mm-hmm. right side. You're facing the ground. I'm facing the ground. And I'm like, I'm expecting the rotors to hit the ground yeah. or hit the tree. And I'm like, you know, and every now and then, hey, you good back there? Yeah. <laughs> and you hear them laughing on the radio. But And I, I think there was like an initiation or whatever. Yeah, that's amazing. But it was like, but after that, I got the bug. I was like, yeah. oh, every chance I got, on my days off, I would come down to the flight line. And I made friends with a lot of the, the crew chiefs. Yeah, that's cool. And, um, you know, I was like, hey, whenever you guys are hey. So then they will, they will call the barracks, you know, pew, and I'll run across because the airfield was, it was maybe a mile if you take the road, uh-huh. but if you cut to the trees, it was like a quarter of a mile. Uh-huh. So I used to just cut through the trees, you know. Yeah. Next thing you know, pff, here comes Santos busting out of the tree line, you know, <laughs> running down to, to the, uh, the, the uh, airfield. And uh, we will get there and um, go up every every chance I get. Man. That's dope. It's funny. I've got, if men have best friends, my best friend, 
just recently actually became a doctor. He finished his uh, his residency, I guess it is, or whatever it is when you're done your full doctorate. Actually, not too long ago. You'd know him if I named him. I'll name him off here. Uh, he refuses to come on the podcast. He's like, I'm not going to risk my doctor paycheck for your stupid little <laughs> podcast. So How dare you. But he, he figures out, you know, he's going because he's a genius, obviously, hashtag doctor. Um, but he figures out while he's going to med school, he's like, hey, I can go. I can go join the reserves and they'll pay me. It was something crazy, like 2,500 bucks a month or something the whole yes. time he's in med school. And then he's not deployable until he's done with his residency. And it's like, if you haven't watched enough medical TV shows to realize that until you're an actual doctor, you're, you've got six figure debt. And like the whole time you're an intern and a resident, you're not making doctor money. You're, if you do it by hour, you're making like less than exactly. the minimum wage. So he's like, I'll go. So now he's like a captain in the reserves, but he's also like a hard charger. So when you're in the reserves and you're not a real soldier, you're a doctor. These are his words, not mine. Uh, he's very humble about it. Like when you're trying to get special schools and stuff, they're like, go, go away. Doc. Yeah, like this exactly. is for the real, but like he, he just pressed and did it. So he got to go and do flight surgeon school. Um, so he's telling us all about that. And we're all like, dude, sweet. So you're going to be, you know, like a, like a life flight doctor. This is what we're picturing. Like, we're picturing, you know, he's like sealing chest wounds on a on a helicopter or something. He's like, no, like I, I, I sign off on all the pilots and the crew before they go fly. Like I do their medical. <laughs> We're like, that's not a school, bro. Right. Exactly. You shouldn't have explained it, man. <laughs> you should have just left that at that and leave the yeah. mystery there. So, But he'll still like he he'll uh, never mind. I'm not going to say what he does. I want to get him in trouble. But he still gets to see and do some some cool things. That's and, cool. That's yeah, cool. And I haven't seen or heard about any of it. He doesn't tell me any of that stuff. The government who's definitely listening to this podcast. Yeah. So um, <laughs> when was uh, your one story of you jumping out of the airplane that's when i went to airborne school okay was that when, now, when i i got activated because you had asked me about desert storm yes i yeah. got activated for desert storm um but during my activation it, it was in fort benning georgia now uh -huh. when i say activated is because i was a reservist right all right that's one of the things when my father found out that i joined the military mm -hmm. i was gonna go active he convinced me to go reserves right i shouldn't have listened <laughs> but I went reserve first. Did he suggest that because he didn't, it would take a little bit before you get deployed and type deal or? He suggested that because at the time he hated the military. Okay. He felt that he was screwed over by the Navy. And basically he, he says, you know, I don't want my son working for them, mm. you know, but you're already signed and all this stuff, you know, go, go reserve. At least that, like that, you could still go to school and mm. all this stuff. So I did it and I shouldn't have because, you know, um, I went to training basic AIT, and then I'm back home. Yeah. So I, I had a real hard time with that. Yeah. Talk about you know mental stuff. I had a real hard time because every soldier gets trained combat. Every soldier, okay? If you're infantry, even more so. Mm -hmm. But every soldier is trained combat. So you know we could be sitting here at a post right now. You're a radio man. You're a core man. You know, I'm, you know, the sweeper man, you know, but if this place gets overwhelmed, you are expected to pick up a rifle and go fight, mm -hmm. you know? So I had a hard time with that because here I am, a 19-year-old, they teach you how to shoot, how to kill, how to maim and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, they release me out into the world, you know? I felt like, what the heck? What am I doing out here? What if something happens and I get into a fight or, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I had a hard, hard, hard time with that. That's one of the reasons why I think I should have gone active. But then... Um, You're vibrating again. Oh, Robbie, sorry about that. And it's a spam call. <laughs> Tell him, I'm man, trying to keep people. track of which phone he's checking. We ran into this. We had Mike Redacted on our, on our Patreon. We did the whole bonus episode uh, last week. 
and um, I'm trying to I'm trying not to jam him up because he never tells me anything he's not supposed to tell me. Just to be very clear, but he had to take what we'll call a work call. Like just after we started, I'm like, come on, man. But then yeah. you realize I'm like, well, somebody could actually be like bleeding on the other side of that phone. So I guess you should answer it. Yeah, this is well, actually, this is my work phone right here. This is my work phone and it has my department patch on it. Nice. My personal phone has. Hold on, You're getting you spam calls on both phones. I am. I Batman. Oh, Batman. What a it. novel idea, though, that you have your work phone and a personal phone. Are you listening, Mike Redacted? I meant to ask <laughs> him is, on the pod because yeah, this is how he, a gentleman handles his business, sir. Yes. He, uh, when we t- yes. when we were in group tech, especially with Rebecca, Kale, and I, and and Mike, it automatically turns to green bubbles yeah. because Mike, every text has to be tracked by. Whoever. Yeah, you probably have the same thing with your yes. work phone. You can't use iMessage, right? Because there's got to be record of exactly. it because it's government communication. But, yeah. Exactly. And I meant to ask when we did the bonus episode, um, I wanted to be like, hey, man, why don't you just get an iPhone that's a personal well, he, iPhone? He responded to you. Did you see that? Josh actually, he didn't, Josh didn't say that. He said, what are you, poor? Yeah. <laughs> we were <laughs> next. He said, how does it feel to be poor? And Mike just responded, pretty freeing, actually. Yeah, it's actually freeing. <laughs> that's but, crazy. Yeah, look at you. You have two iPhones right here. Yeah. yeah they, well, that's they're the both thing, iPhone though. 10s, it looks like. Look at you. Yeah. One of, this is, I think, an XR, is it? 10R, yeah. Yeah. And this is um, an 11, I think it is. Look at you, dude. I'm not sure. Something like so that. Fancy. Nice. Yeah, my wife got it for me. That one, this, one, this one, my PD got it. <laughs> <laughs> but so you get activated and you actually deploy. So yes. this would be 93? No, actually, okay. Um, I got activated in 90 and I ended up in Fort Benning. Right. For I was there um, for a year. And then when I came back, again, I find myself back in the world and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. You know, then my, my, my unit here said, you know, hey, we need volunteers to... Yeah. And then, hey, you want to find out what you're volunteering for first? I think, does it get me out of here? Yes, I'm in. And that's when I ended up in in um, Saudi Arabia, in Desert Storm and in Kuwait. So that's that's when I'm there. And I was over there for a year. Which, depending on your outlook in life, uh, was either very unlucky or very lucky. Like, to be in the service when you were in uh, and have a combat deployment... It like there was a real tight window there. It was. It yeah. was a real tight window, and being a reservist, yeah, even tighter because back then, that's when they started using the reservists to augment the regular army, because um, during the Clinton administration they cut back a lot, and that's how the Orlando NTC got kiboshed, yeah. you know, because it was part of the, the cutbacks. Mm. Uh, it was crazy because they had just built a nuclear school there. I don't think it was even a year old when they decided to cut back on it. Wow. All that money wasted. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, I ended up, um, after my, my stint in, um, in Fort Benning, I ended up going to, to Desert Storm. But before that, I had gone to Airborne School. That's where my story from jumping out of the planes comes from. Okay. Um, it was towards the end of our activation the first time, and the captain comes to us and says, hey, we have downtime. Put in for any schools you guys want. I'm approving it. You know, I actually, I asked for Ranger School. I want to go to Ranger School. No, that school is too long. You know, it's, uh, I believe range school is three months. Yeah. That school is too long. You got to get something shorter. So I, I go, I'll go airborne. It goes, okay, airborne is three weeks long. All right, no problem, you know. So I went to airborne and it was killer. Killer yeah. training. It, it was awesome. You know, it really separates there the boys and the men, you know. And, um, but then during one of my jumps, I busted my leg, you know. And it was an airborne school back then. You do five jumps, you know? 
So if you just do airborne school and you don't go to an airborne unit, they call you a five jump chump. <laughs> right? Because that's all you did was five jumps. Say that five times fast. Yeah, right? All you need is four jumps to qualify. Mm-hmm. Okay? I did three. Ugh. On the third jump, you got busted. On the third jump, I got I got busted. And basically what happened, it was it was a one, it was a it wasn't a night jump, but it was like towards the evening. So yeah. dusk. So I mean it doesn't really count, but but it was um it was one of those jumps. And basically what happened, I had a cigar roll. Cigar roll, cigarette roll. My my parachute did not inflate all the way. Mm. So when we're jumping, we jump at twelve hundred feet. You know, you think mm-hmm. about twelve hundred feet. That's that's a long way. Yeah, but we actually we talked jumping, about it last week. We were talking about when uh, Cadre DS got his uh, his certification, which mm-hmm. of course you know, being being tier one, I mean, he you know, oh, yeah. he, he went on, but you start those static line jumps. Yeah, this yeah, is not a lot line. of time. No, no time at all. So you were like that. You were tied into the plane, yeah, and when you jump, it automatically jump. deploys. Exactly, yep. it gives you um, you free fall for like four seconds. Yeah. Okay, and it's it's a static line. You you got to hook it up. So you know, it's 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 a whole you know. It's a whole cadence that you go through when you stand up, hook up, shuffle to the door, yeah. you know, jump right out and count to four, mm-hmm. you know? So then after four, you know, after you, after you hook up, you jump out, you count to four, your parachute should open, okay? <laughs> Emphasis should. on the should. Yeah, exactly. If it doesn't, then you have a reserve, all right? Yeah. So, but what happened? When I jumped out, I count to four. And I really don't feel the jerk that I felt on my other jumps. Yeah. You know, and I, I was, back then I was an adrenaline junkie. I mean, I, I wanted, wanted to go, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel the jerk. So when I looked up, all I see is, you know, like my parachute fluttering. Yeah. I look down and the ground is coming up pretty fast. So I'm popping my risers, you know, trying to pop them, trying to pop them to open them up. Um, it wasn't working. So I was getting ready to. To take die. Off. <laughs> yeah, right. I was getting ready to let go of my risers so that I could open my, my reserve chute because if my if that parachute is up above me and the reserve chute comes up, it could get tangled in there. Okay, yeah. So I have to pop my, my risers, let go of the main parachute, and then pull. And I just didn't have enough time to do that. So what happened was I look up. When I decided what I was going to do, when I looked down, that's it. I was on the ground. So then the oh. problem was I did a bad PLF. PLF is parachute landing fall. When you're coming down, you're supposed to come down with your legs together. Because mm-hmm. when you're coming down, you're coming down between 12, 15 miles per hour. You're not coming straight down. You're coming at an angle. Right. You know, no matter what, you're always at an angle. So you got your feet together. Because as soon as your feet touch, whatever side you're going to, that's when you just roll. Yeah. You know? It's supposed to be like ankles, knees, hips. Shoulders. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And then you flip over and then your heels hit and that's how you, you put your brakes on. Right. Um but I came down with my legs open. Oy. So when I hit the ground, I couldn't go nowhere. Yeah. Because I had a stable platform. Yeah. Uh, so I just went straight down. <sighs> I went straight down. My forehead hit the ground. But, and, and it wasn't like one of these. So that you I just used fell to over. be good looking then, huh? I used to be. <laughs> and that's what happened. <laughs> Thank you, Army. Mama Iris, forgive me. <laughs> Don't come after me. <laughs> so then um, I got knocked out. I woke up because I felt someone was shaking me. And I kept hearing my name, Yeah, you know? So I opened my eyes and basically what happened was my parachute decided to inflate when I was on the ground and it started dragging me across the field. So then my buddies were running, calling my name, running, trying to catch me, right? So I wake up, I, I look, I see what's going on. I hit the riser and it collapsed the parachute. Then my buddies come running, they jumped on the parachute so it won't inflate again, you know? Yeah. Then I get up, they're like, you're okay, you're okay. Yeah, I sit up and my legs are straight out in front of me, right? 
My right leg is straight. My right foot is pointing to the sky. My left leg was straight, but my left foot was pointing to the side. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, that don't look right. You know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I thought I dislocated either my knee or my ankle. So then what I did was I got to get out of here because here comes the next stick. The stick is the the, the flights, yeah. you know. It's when they go out, you know, we have three or four airplanes, C-130s. Yeah. If one of those guys falls on top of me, we both could die. So as soon as you hit the ground, you got to pack your chute and run off the yeah. field. So then the guy's like, all right, let's go, let's go. Here comes the next stick, you know. I'm good, I'm good, go. So they took off to do their thing. Um, I look at my leg. So I lean on my left side. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay. If I snap my leg to the right forcefully, it'll relocate whatever is dislocated. Yeah. So that's what I did. I leaned, I came over, pulled it real quick, and I heard a clack. So then I'm like, whoa. And then, okay, okay, it feels good. No pain. You know, and that was my ankle. Yeah. So I had dislocated my ankle. I'm like, all right. So I got up, grabbed my chute, put the bag out, put the chute inside, threw the bag over my head, and I ran. So I'm running off the field and I ran maybe quarter of a mile, maybe two quarters of a mile until yeah. I got to the road. Um, so I ran. When I got there, I, my leg went numb. It's like it fell asleep. All these little pins and needles. Mm-hmm. So then I, I threw my, my bag down, parachute bag down, and I sat on it. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? So I'm massaging. Well, at that time, a colonel pulled up in a Humvee and he's screaming at me, why are you sitting down, trooper? You know, he's just laying into me. I get up, you know, attention, I salute him. And then I'm like, sir, uh, my, my leg is numb. And that's why. So he looks at me, he goes, okay, sit down. So I sat down, he called the medics over. The medics came in a Humvee. Um, it was a converted to an ambulance, field ambulance. So they sit me in the back. They're like, okay, you know, what's going on? My leg is numb, this and that. You know, I could barely walk mm-hmm. um, because it was like asleep, you know? So they helped me, they sat me down. They're like, okay. So one of them grabs my foot and it starts moving it around. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? I'm like, no, no, it doesn't hurt. Like, okay. So then he looks up to the other medic, which I'm assuming is the, the more experienced one. The medic tells him, take off his boot. Well, I, back then I had jump boots on. And I had like what we considered the real jump boots, which are Cochrane's. And the boots are high boots, almost, I would say, almost to the knee. And we would lace them up tight. Well, the boot was serving as a cast. Mm. So then when they undid my laces and took off my boot, lifted up my pants, and then right there in front of me, my leg got like three times its size. Wow. And all feeling came at once. So I dropped back, and I'm like, oh, my God. And and then the medic says, it's broken. Yeah, thanks, Doc. Thanks for clearing that up for me. Yeah, so then I'm like, oh. So then now they're contemplating whether they're going to get medevac for me or drive me out. Mm-hmm. Right. So then um, I was already on the road, uh, near the road. So then they decided to uh, drive me out. You know, um, if they would have called a medevac for me, you know, the funny thing would have been is it would have been my unit coming to get me. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they probably would have freaked out when they land and they see that it's it's me there, you know. But um, so they threw me in back of the ambulance and said, we'll drive them out. Yeah. I wish they would have called a medevac because they had me on a military cot. Yeah. Now, if you know how a military cot is, it's nylon, but it's stretched out. It's like a trampoline. Yeah. So I'm sitting back there, and they're getting every dip and hole that was on that road, and oh. I'm just bouncing back there. I was cussing up a storm and yeah. telling them, you know, just, just slow down, this and that. So yeah. yeah. Oy, then I, uh, I get to the hospital, and then 
the doctor takes an x-ray stuff comes to me he says you have a fabulous fracture and he was a colonel <laughs> yeah i cussed at him and i told him nothing <laughs> fabulous about my fracture yeah it hurts give me some morphine yeah right so then he's like oh, let, let, let me explain you know so now i'm sitting there in pain and this guy has to explain my fabulous fracture and what happened was i fractured my fibula uh-huh. Now, on, on the leg, the lower part of the leg, my left leg, you have two bones. You yeah. have the tibia and the fibula. Mm-hmm. The fibula is the smallest one, the skinniest one. I shattered that one. It just just shattered, you know, wow. like, like somebody just put you know, a cherry bomb on it and just blew it up. Yeah. He says, in order for that to happen, your tibia had to bend 90 degrees Oof. at least, and it did not break. What in the world? That's why I say it was a fabulous fracture. Yeah. You know, that's what he said. I'm like, okay. But then I also tore all the ligaments and tendons on my on my ankle. So my foot was just being held by the muscle and the skin. Yeah. You know, nothing. I couldn't move my foot at all for nothing. So then uh, he goes, You're going, we're going into mer- uh, emergency um surgery now. Yeah. Went in there and then the plan was they're gonna put a he goes like a sleeve around your bone. Your mm-hmm. bone is shattered. I'm going to put the sleeve and the sleeve is going to compress your bone back and it could heal. You're a young man. You heal fast. I'm like, okay, no problem. He goes, and we're going to put a screw in your ankle, screw it back into the ankle socket and then fix all the tendons and ligaments and all that stuff. Okay, no problem. So then the first thing they did was they put the, the bone back in the ankle socket and put the screw in. Well, what happened? As soon as he took the bone and he pulled it to put it in place, the bone came together. So they didn't have to put that sleeve on me. Oh, nice. Yep, so they didn't have to put the sleeves. So all I had was just a screw. And I had the screw at home. You know, every now and then I take it out and look at it, think about it. Man. And I ended up in the hospital um, almost six months. But then the kicker was when I, that's why I said about the four jumps. Yeah. Um, I'm in physical therapy, and next to me there's a guy that had broken his femur. Mm. They did a night jump, and um, he landed on the road. Ooh. Well, unfortunately, that road out in the middle of nowhere has a curb. And he landed right on the curb. Yeah, so he broke his femur, right? But it was his fourth jump. And it counted? I'm sitting there and we're in the pajamas. Bunch of crap, dude. The black hats. We'll go get an airplane right now, bro. We will. We'll get you a fourth jump. And that and the thing was, you know, and then they came, the cadre came, the black hats, and pinned his his wings on his pajamas. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I I was pissed. (laughs) I was pissed. So they, and when I got hurt, you know, before they, they shipped me out, you know, I looked at the black hat, which is the sergeant, which is our trainers. Yeah. I'm like, give me some more, give me some morphine or give me some Motrin. Yeah. And throw me out of yeah. the airplane. Let me get my fourth jump. He's like, if the colonel wouldn't have found you, I would have done that. He goes, but the colonel found you. So yeah. I'm sorry. You're well, like on the big radar. So how, how come after you healed, how come you just couldn't go for the fourth jump? So then what happened was that's when I came back. I got deactivated, mm. came back to my reserve unit. So the thing was, if I could go back within six months, I don't have to do the other training because it's three weeks. You know, you have ground week, yeah. tower week, and then jump week. Mm. Um, I don't have to do the training. I just have to do the jumps that I needed. You know, because from what I've seen, they really baby step it, right? Like you literally start like you're on like a twenty inch box step or something, right? Like you're yes. jumping onto the ground and practicing yes. that fall. And yep. then you do, like, you're on almost like a zip line, right? At one point before you even yeah. jump, they simulate that sideways motion. Yes. So they're working you up all the way until you're doing that static line jump. So yeah. you, would, you wouldn't have to repeat any I wouldn't have that. to repeat none of that. Yeah, it's yeah. like ground week is you're jumping off the, the, the fuselage and going sideways on a zip line. Yeah. 
Um, then you have Tower Week where um, they're showing you, you're jumping off the box and then you get a little higher, a little higher. Then you ha- they have you on this barn and you have, you know, 10 guys hanging off the rafters with a rig on and there's someone holding a rope on you, right? And then they swing you and you're swinging, swinging, swinging and then they let go of the rope and that's when you come down and do your land. Mm. And you don't know when they're going to let go. Yeah. And that's like the first couple of days and then after that you go on the towers, which it's a canopy it's open. They have like this rig and then they pull you up the tower and it's, I believe it's 250 feet and it's just pulling up. When it gets to the end, it lets go and you come down on your parachute, you know, and you drift and then you land and, yeah. you know, um, and that's, that's um, tower, um, tower week. And then you have jump week, which is you jump Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Thursday night, you have a night jump. That's the fifth jump. But all you need is, like I said, four to qualify. Right. And then you have your night jump, and then Friday is when you graduate. You, so know, then, you know I have to go out and buy you an, an airborne hat for Christmas now, right? Like, I have, I have to. <laughs> I've gotta, yeah. I've, you got to rub it in now. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, I have buddies that are airborne, and, you know, um, the pranks still happen. You know, one of them gave me half an airborne wing that's funny that's <laughs> yeah. fantastic yeah he gave me half an airborne wing um but i get i get airborne hats you know um all the time and stuff that's excellent that's how you know you have good friends yeah that's true yeah. but the thing is i won't wear it yeah no of course yeah yeah, yeah. No. you know i i won't wear it because i'm one that you know i have a t-shirt you know the t-shirt has something on it either military or yeah. police wise i have to earn it right you know, if I didn't earn it, I'm not going to wear it. Mm-hmm. So I always have the belief, you know what? I didn't pass airborne right. school because I broke my leg. Um, I didn't earn it. So, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you for the gift. You know, I have it up in, you know, in my room. Right. You know, but I, I don't I don't so wear it. You know what would make up for it, though? You come out with us and you, you earn yourself a Star Course patch. And it's it's. Yeah. Very similar. That, that is similar. awesome. That is awesome. So, but well, you know. I'm going to do something we don't normally do because we almost never have a hard out and we'll almost always sit and talk for forever. And today I've got a hard out and you've got one story, if you can tell it on the podcast, that I really want to get to. And you know which okay. one I'm talking about. So, if you'll promise to come back and fill in the gaps, which I think you'll be down to come back. And I def- we want to do nerd stuff with you too and talk comic yeah. books and more. Yeah, that'll be cool. But so I want to I want to continue with your story, but I want to step you through and fast forward to it. Okay. And try and get to the the big all right the big one i don't maybe it's not the big one maybe you've got bigger stories that i've never heard but so uh so you're you're reservist you're kind of going back and forth between being activated you deploy to saudi arabia and then how long are you in theater for that deployment i was in theater for a year okay i was based uh, i was stationed in um daharan kobar towers kobar towers uh, if you google it um it was one of the places where they had a terrorist attack or they had a bombing right you know a lot of a lot of my brothers and sisters died um, but, um, in Kobar Towers, they, that was basically like the projects in Saudi Arabia. They had those houses, those buildings for the nomads. So when the nomads came in to occupy the building, they were bringing their animals and the government, they started going and said, no, no, you can't bring your animals. This is just for you. So they're like, forget this. Turned around. They went back into the desert. So those buildings stood there empty for years. Yeah. And when there's a storm happened, they said, we got a perfect place for you guys to house your soldiers. So we were in condos. Yeah. That was pretty. It was pretty neat. You know, it's yeah. different over there. The construction yeah. is different. You know, the ambient. But um, but that's yeah. That's what I was. So I was in Saudi Arabia, um, the, um, Kobar Towers, and then I was a escort for convoys. I volunteered for that too. Yeah. So you know, here I am volunteering for crap again, <laughs> and then so then I traveled all over Saudi and into Kuwait. Nice. Um, and went as as far as twelve miles south of the border of Iraq, 
we had a Marine camp there called KKMC. And uh, we used to deliver munitions and equipment and stuff right. like that. So did you do just kind of the standard four years Army then as a reservist? Or how long were you in? So then what happened was, no, as, as an Army reservist, I, I did 14 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And then that's when um, I got out and went Navy. Yeah, I was going to say, how'd you end up being a squid? What happened was I'm considered a subject matter expert on small arms and SME. Yeah. And the um, Navy was beefing up their master at arms program um, because um, the Marines do a lot of the security for the Navy. That's right. why you have fast platoons on the ships. You know, a lot of times the Marines are the ones um, uh, manning the gate uh, at the bases and stuff like that. You know, we have some sailors, but then, you know, usually it's, it's the Marines because the Marines are, you know, I got a couple of Marine buddies and they say that the Marines is the men's department of the Navy. <laughs> so yeah. I've always liked the uh, line from, uh, is it a, a few good, no, it, not, it's not a few good men. What's the stupid Tom Cruise movie that you can't handle the truth? Is that a few good men? I guess it is a few, yeah, good men. few good men. When the one, I think it's Kevin Bacon's character says, no, I like the Navy just fine. Every time we need to go fight somewhere, they give us a ride. Yeah, exactly. That's Funny. what to say. It's just a taxi for the Marines. Yeah. But um, so then um, they were beefing up their master at arms. I was talking to my retention NCO. They're the ones that do um, recruit the ones that are already in. They retain you. Right. And I wanted to change my MOS. Because they have forced me to change my MOS to 88 November, which is traffic management. So what I was doing with the helicopters, doing the flight plans, I was doing with trucks now, preparing convoy routes. I did not like it. Yeah. So I wanted to change my MOS to MP. So the, the NCO, the retention NCO, telling me, well, you know, if you go MP, you're going to get activated. I'm like, Let make it so. Yeah. You know, and this was in 2013. I mean, 2003, I'm sorry. Right. You know, when 9-11 already happened. Yeah, things and all are that. popping yeah, off now. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, make it so, you know, let's go. I'm, I'm ready to go. No, 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 we need you in 88 November. I said, how How do you need me? You know, we're, we're saturated. That MOS yeah. is saturated. Yeah, throw, the, up, throw up a traffic light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then they're looking at the file there. So I, I'm sitting there with my file and he's, he's talking. But we um, share a reserve center with the Navy. So then the retention and CO is next to their retention counterpart of the Navy. Yeah. So he comes in, he sits next to me. He goes, what's going on, man? I hear you guys arguing over there and stuff. So I told him what's going on. He goes, can I see at your file? I'm like, yeah. So he looked at my file, he's looking, and then he goes, you're an SME? I'm like, yeah, they say I am, you know, small arms and stuff. He goes, hey, I hear you want to be an MP. Yeah, we have MAs. So I'm like, what the heck is that? You know? He goes, same thing but we call them master arms instead of military police. He said, we're beefing it up because we're releasing a lot of the Marines back to do the Marine thing. I don't know if they had a recruiting issue. They weren't, they were shorthand or what. So what they were doing is beefing up their MA program to release a lot of the Marines so they could go to the Marine camps and, you know, do what the Marines do. Right. Um, and we take care of our own security. So that's how I ended up there. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. And, and, you know, you could do this and be that. And we need you got you to help us train a lot of the sailors up. And you're an SME. I'm like, okay. And I looked at him like, I want to keep my rank. I want to keep my time in service. And um, and I want to be in. So you, are you in, what, an E6 by then? What are you doing? Um, I was still an E5. E5. Yeah, I was still an E5 because when I, be, when I started my narcotics career, 
not running narcotics, but investigating narcotics. Yes. Um, you know, we had to change our appearance and stuff. And at the time, the reserve center would not allow me. It wouldn't give me a waiver to let me grow my beard or my hair. So then I so went. At this point, when you're so when you're not active at this point, while you're still in the army, you're you're already working law enforcement. Yes, that's your civvy job. Okay, yeah, that's my civvy. Yeah, See, I didn't realize that crossed over. So where did you? And this is I'm gonna keep trying. I'm gonna, yeah, we I love understand. a rabbit trail. You know this. So <laughs> I, we, I could talk forever, but keep moving things along. So where did you pick up? You're you're a sniper. Yes, I am a sniper. So where, when did you pick up sniper school? Did you do that on the law enforcement side or did you do that on the military side? Law enforcement side. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I did that on law enforcement side. Um, on the military, I went to sniper school in the military yeah. in, in Arkansas. The sniper school was put on by um, Air Force. Okay. It was pretty crazy. You know, yeah. Air Force have this group called the Ravens that they were bringing up also. And they do a lot of their heavy security stuff for the Air Force. Um, the Navy adapted also that. And they also call them Ravens. I'm not sure where they're at in the Navy now if they still exist. So then basically I went to sniper I went to sniper school in police and then I went to sniper school in the military. Gotcha. Two completely different animals. Yeah. Completely different. Well that's why I was laughing earlier when you said you were bad at math because snipers, particularly military snipers, yes. need a ton of math. Yeah. Yes. And Mark Wahlberg says you even need like the humidity you need another humidity and all this stuff. Well or yes, that movie shooter. So. Yeah. Well beyond <laughs> that, and I can't remember if shooter hits on it or not, but that's that's real. But yeah. you also once you're pushing your shot out far enough, you have to account for the Coriolis effect. You literally have to account for the spin of the earth. Yeah. Which at yeah, what point well, how far does your shot have to be for that to start to cut, to factor in? Oh man, you know? from you know let's see if, if I can remember from from what I know, um, you're looking at, and, and back then they thought it was impossible, but you know, yeah. you're looking at a mile away, yeah. a little over a mile. Oh, the, the, I mean, the leading shot right now, I think, is still that Canadian sniper. I think that dude pushed out over two miles, yeah. which he probably said it in kilometers or something Ugh. communist like that, but we know it was too. <laughs> I mean, what a, what an All insane. right, so let's yeah. get to this story that you're, you're talking about. Yeah, so so I'm you, trying to try to so, figure out which one it is <laughs> so you're so you're so you're sniper trained on both sides you're law enforcement at what point uh are you did you join swat yes i mean i mean listener i know this is warp speed listeners we'll come back and <laughs> fill in the blank someday but so you're law enforcement you're doing the navy's version of the mp thing yes you you end up on swat which i believe you're still a swat officer now i'm yes? still yeah okay. I'm, I'm one of the uh, the swat commanders i'm the sniper team commander right now i mean that's that's a dope title <laughs> Yeah, I'm over here. I'm like, I edit videos for a living. Everybody I talk to would get a business card. Be like, I've known you for 15 years. Yeah, here's my card. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but that puts you in, in, in a position, and I do want to come back and fill in these stories. Right. And even like your family life, your wife is this amazing woman. Oh, Mama she's... Iris probably needs her own podcast episode. <laughs> oh man, um, you know, we need to carve out four hours. Yeah, oh, just you, uh, right? just kids are awesome. So um, we definitely want you to come back over and over and over again. But you end up in this position where at this point you're separated from the military. Yeah, you're retired, um, or are you still reserved? I'm still. Um, I I um, ended my military career in 2013. I did um, seven years in the Navy. So 14 in the Army, yeah. seven in, in the Navy. Um, but yeah, I was I got into law enforcement in 94. Um, and I was already in the military because I went in in 89. In 94, and then in 2003 is when I went to the Navy. And 2013 is when I ended it. And I'm still currently police. 
Gotcha. So um, you're still serving now at a, an agency here in Central Florida. You're still on SWAT. So in an area like uh, Central Florida, it's not just this city SWAT team, that city SWAT team. You end up with with metro units where everybody kind of contributes. You've yes. been you've been a part of that. I want to have you come back on and just talk about when you were doing undercover work. That's a whole Dude, other oh, episode. I was wanting to get to one of your um, undercover stories, but we don't have time. But <laughs> all, all this leads up to um, a few years ago. Uh, your and when you're on SWAT, like you guys are, are on call, like you guys are ready to go do your thing yes. when, when you got to go and do your thing. But you were, I think, I believe, if I'm remembering the story right, and you can fill in the blanks here, just working patrol, and you hear a call come out for an active shooter. Yes, in Orlando. Yes. Can, uh, can you tell us that story? Sure. Okay. Sure. Hey, listeners, we wanted to interrupt real quick here and just give you a heads up that this next story gets pretty graphic. Ed shares with us a story about responding to an active shooting, and we think it's important to tell these stories um, to keep in mind humanity's capacity for evil and humanity's capacity for heroism. But some of you might find this content disturbing. So if that's you or if you listen with your kids, probably going to be best if you just skip the rest of this episode and we'll still love you and we'll catch you next week. It was two o'clock in the morning. I'm on midnights. I'm an officer. I'm on midnights. Uh, we were busy that night because I usually eat my lunch at twelve. You know, I always try to keep uh, some kind of schedule. So I'll eat. You know, when I was on midnights at twelve midnight, that's my noon time. That's when I eat my lunch. During the day is noon time twelve. So then, um, but we were busy. So it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm starving. You know. So I'm walking into the break room with my food. You know, Mama Iris had already made me some rice, mm, rice, she rice, make some food, man. beans. I had some steak. I was getting ready to tear it up. I sit down, and as soon as I sit down, our dispatch comes over the radio to our sergeant and says, um, Orlando is calling uh, Signal 43, which is uh, officer needs emergency backup. So when you hear Signal 43, everybody stops what they're doing. They're like, ooh, what? So then they say they have an active shooter um, and they're, they're asking for units. So then me and my sergeant, we have an understanding. You know, I was a senior officer by then. You know, I was, this was in 16. Um, so I was already at 20 years, you know. Um, I was still an officer because, you know, um, it took me 20 years to get promoted because I always spoke how I saw things and that didn't go too well. With I have that same it. problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was, uh, I was a 20 year officer. And, um, so I'm sitting in the break room. We have an understanding that I was a SWAT officer. So my sergeant's like, Hey, if we ever get a student 43, I want you to respond and you take someone with you. You pick who you want to go. I'm like, okay. So, you know, by then I've already responded to a couple of 43s. You know, a lot of times we get called off even before we get there, but I always spread the wealth. Well, this time, you know, it's an active shooter. Listen, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, I get up, I left my phone on the table, and I went down the hallway, right? So then I, I called out, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm in route. You know, the sergeant came over, 10-4, take somebody with you. As soon as he said that, I see our canine guy come out of the property and evidence hallway, and he looks at me, right? Well, my, our canine guy was also a SWAT brother, you know? So I know him, and I know, hey, this is the guy I want to watch my back. Yeah. I'm like, let's go. You know, I call him by his name. I said, let's go. He he didn't even hesitate. Weird. So we went up to the car, to our patrol car, and we took off. Um, so we got the call at 2.07. 
Okay. Apparently, I, I believe this happened at right at two or two o one. Um, two o seven, we got the call. Um, I'm hauling butt, but they gave out the club name, which was Pulse. They gave it out. That's what's going on. So our headquarters, give me a pinpoint. I'm not familiar with the Pulse. So and they're like, okay. So they give me an address, but they neglect it to say the south or north. So I ended up in north. You know, I believe the address was 1250 Orange Avenue, north side off of Lake Ivanhoe. Yeah. I get there and I'm looking around. And it's like, there's nothing here. Headquarters, there's nothing here. Check it, you know? So then they're like, it's south, it's south. So give me Cross Street. So then give me Cross Street, Orange and Cayley. I know where that's at. Because right down the street is Boone High School. And is is this, um, like my sister was a communications, she was a dispatcher for a long time. I've volunteered and dispatched some back as a police explorer back when I was a super cool high school kid. So <laughs> is is this coming from your PD's dispatch or is this coming across CityNet from Orlando? Like, it's how coming are you across. This? Yeah, it's coming across. Um, my dispatch is getting it through right. inner city. Yeah from Orlando and then they're relaying it to me. Okay. So there's a, a lot of times there's a, you know, a loss in translation right. things or, you know, a little delay. Um, but then as soon as they gave me the cross sections, you know, I looked at my, my partner, I'm like, I know where it's at, follow me. So I shot down Orange, straight down Orange Avenue through downtown, you know, go screaming past um, ORMC, you know, and then um, I know where Kaylee and Orange is, but I still don't know where the pulse is at. Yeah. So I go driving down, and I stop in front of a subway that's right there on Orange Avenue, just north of Cayley. So I get out and I don't see nothing, right? So I see these two guys standing in front of the subway. So I go running up to them and I say, hey, where's this club pulse at? I, I don't know where it's at. And even before they, they can answer me, I, I hear the shots. Yeah. You know, it, the dude was still shooting. I don't know if that was... You know, the officer um, returning fire, or, or but I heard shots. I didn't even wait for them to reply. I turned around and I told my partner, hey, it's that way. I ran to my, my car, took out my AR. I was saying, you're you're like, you're not running in with your, what do you guys oh, carry? No. You carry nine or 40? We, or um, back then, we, right now we carry 40. Yeah. Back then. Ugh, 40 is a garbage round. Uh, yeah, they're, they're trying Sorry. to figure it out. <laughs> back then we carried SIGs yeah. and the SWAT team carried SIG 357s. Patrol carried nine millimeters. Yeah. So back then I had my, I believe it was my SIG that I had. But you had your SWAT gear. Like you're not going in with your sidearm. Oh, like you're kitted up and going yeah. in with well, a I'm real not, firearm. Yeah, I'm not kitted up because yeah. it'll take me a few minutes to put all that on. Yeah. So I just grabbed my rifle. Um, I grabbed extra magazines, put it in my back pocket, and I took off running. Um, my partner did the same thing. You know, he, he came out and he's, and my, my partner is awesome. He's like super quiet. You know, but yeah, you don't want to get on his bad side. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm like, come on, Johnny, let's go. So, you know, so we went, we went running, and as we were going, now the crowd starts coming towards us. Yeah, and it was like a, uh, it was like a, like a, a one of these um, futuristic movies where you know, like, like zombies or you know, aftermath or something, which right. is the aftermath of the shooting. They're running towards us. They see us, so they'll make a beeline toward us. You know, asking for help and stuff. They're running, they're walking. So I'm like, keep going, keep going, don't stop. You know, the fire, there's a fire department right there in the corner, but there was so much chaos, the fire department was locked down. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not sure what their protocol is, but a lot of people were banging on the doors and stuff. And we're telling them, the hospital's that way, keep going. You know, we see people with blood, just keep going to the hospital, it's right up that way. So we're running down. I get to um, 
to the post, you know, because now I see the sign that says post, yeah. you know. So I get there, I come running, um, and I go in, into the door. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, go into the door, right, as I'm running, right. you know. But what happened? It's a nightclub. It's dark inside, you know, so you really can't see nothing. And who else is on scene at this point, though? Um, well, there's OPD and Orange County. Yeah. Because when I went inside, after I got oriented inside, um, there was a OPD lieutenant barking on commands. And I remember, because now at this time, my partner got pulled out for something. Right. You know, um, I think as I was running through the door, someone screamed to him that they need a cover over here on, on the outside. So he went that way. Yeah. So I went by myself and I remember tapping a deputy on the shoulder when the OPD lieutenant, you know, gave us a command. I tapped the deputy and I said, you're with me. He goes, let's go. So then we went. But um, yeah, when I ran in, in, into the, um, the, the doorway, my thing is, okay, I'm running, I'm running, it's dark, but I see something like darker than just night or shadow on the, law, on the left side. I, that's gotta be a wall. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do is, as soon as I break the threshold, I'm gonna plant and pivot and go to the right. This is my plan. Unfortunately, Murphy was around there, and you know how Murphy laws work. Um, as soon as I stepped in that I planted to stop, I scared it like 10 feet. It's like I was on something obviously slippery. Like ice. Yeah. I scared it, right? And then something stopped me. You know, my foot stopped, kept my balance. So then um, I got my rifle up and I'm scanning, scanning, looking. It's dark, so I have to let my eyes adjust. So, you know, you hear, um, I believe there was a fire alarm going off. And so you hear that, but then they also had the lasers were still going. It's a nightclub, you know, right. had lasers. That's still going. So you're trying to adjust your, your night vision. You have the lasers going. It was a little tough, right? But I would say maybe, you know, a few seconds in there, I was getting better. I was starting to see shapes and stuff. So then I'm looking, I'm looking. And all of a sudden, I have this, um, this thing. I might say, okay, what stopped me? Because I'm looking around, and I don't see no wall. And I thought maybe I ran into a wall or something. I look down, and I see what I thought was an overturned bowl. I'm looking at this and I'm like, and for a split second, I completely forgot where I was at. And I was just drawn into that. So what is that? So I'm looking down and I look sideways. And when I look, then I realize I see a body. And then the, the upside, the, the turned over bowl was basically his head. Half of it was blown out and it was just completely empty. No brains, no nothing, no everything. So it was just an empty skull. And that's what snapped me back. You know, I saw that. I'm like, I stood up again and I got my rifle up. And I chastised myself for letting myself get drawn out of that. But I saw that, took it out of my, my yeah. head right away. But and that's then, the challenge, right? You're in this very human moment, like this, uh, literally a national tragedy. Yes. You know, and you've got to operate. Yes. You know, and so it's like, you've got to recognize that. You know, we talked, we were talking about stoicism, uh, you know, in the Patreon last week. And just the idea isn't that you don't have emotions, that the emotions don't get a vote, right? You've got to set it aside. So you've got to you take to. your human, your natural human reaction to this thing. And it's got to be turned off for now because you get a job to do. And at, at this point, by the time you make entry, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but like at this point, he's kind of holed up in the bathrooms or something like that. Yes. Right? At that point, by the time I, I ran in there. Um, I, I could hear the, the lieutenant, you know, saying he's in the bathroom, he's in the bathroom. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I was ready. I was 
hoping I could get a shot at this guy. Yeah. Um, but as, as soon as I ran in there, he was running into the bathroom. So they're saying he's holed up in the bathroom. This is where he's at, you know. So then now the lieutenant is calling out, start clearing out the people. So then we we um, I went ahead and there was a guy crawling. I picked him up and I started pulling him to the door. And then uh, uh, another officer from another department um, came running up, you know, hit me on the shoulder. He goes, let me give you a hand. So then he grabbed the legs I grabbed. And then we ran across the road to the Einsteins and we put him, you know, that's where they set up the triage. Right. But by this time, there's, there's, there's still nothing there. So we went behind the Einsteins. I put him behind this, this um, cinder block wall. So I put him down and I'm like, stay here. Help is on his way. Stay right here. Okay, you're going to live. And I told him. The cool thing is, though, I know who that kid is now because um, through through the other officer that helped me and through the media, I was able to figure out that was him, you know. So then, you know, I contacted him and he's a speaker now. Mm. And he says, you know, hey, I still haven't met him because I, I don't know if I'm not ready to meet him or yeah. what. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I got, you know, I got a lot of accolades for, you know, I was able to pull out six people, you wow. know. Um, and I got accolades for that, but the thing I always said is, you know, yeah, I pulled out six people, but there's 49 that I couldn't get to, Yeah, you know? Jeez. So, and that's, that's what eats me. Yeah. So then, um, I put him there, we ran out we grabbed another one, you know, and, and ran back and grabbed another one, you know? So it was like, you know, this, this Forrest Gump scene yeah. where he's looking for Bubba, but he's pulling out his, his, yeah. his buddies. So I'm pulling out, pulling him out. And then the last one, it was uh, an OPD officer. She was pulling this body and she's getting out there. So she was struggling. I went down to help her. And it was obviously this person was deceased. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was missing a big part of, of his head. Yeah. So I just told her, I said, leave him. He's he's done. He's done. Leave him. Put him to the side. So then she I, she slumped down to the floor. And then that's when I stepped in. Inside. I went inside now. I said, okay, you know. I'm going, I'm trying to find this guy. Yeah. I get in there. That's when they, you know, the, uh, the Lieutenant, you know, says, Hey, I need you to clear the back area of the bar. I tapped the deputy on his shoulder. He had a shotgun and I have my AR tapped him on the shoulder. I said, you're with me. He goes, let's go. So we went and we cleared What's the back bar. What's he doing making entry with a shotgun? They I have, have to no have long idea. guns in their patrol cars. That's what I'm thinking. I thought, you know, <laughs> like in my department, we have shotguns. Yeah. We never take it out of the armor anymore. Now everybody has an AR. Yeah. I have no idea, but he had a shotgun. It was do a pretty have shotgun proper too. Proper ARs, or do you have select fire well, weapon? Do you have actual automatic weapons? No, we don't have automatic. Which doesn't weapons. make it. That wouldn't make any sense for you guys. Anyways, yeah, but. yeah, we don't know because remember we are responsible for every bullet yeah. that comes out of that gun. Yeah, for those of you non-gun people, AR 15s are different than M16s. Yes. They are not assault weapons. They are not battlefield weapons. They are different. There is exactly. a difference, and it matters. But they uh, are they are different. They so, do not show fully automatic. Yeah, but so ultimately, to get this guy, you all ended up like punching a hole through a wall, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Ultimately, so basically, you know, long story short, you know, after we evacuated a lot of more people, um, now I'm in a position where we're um, covering on the bathroom, you know. And uh, we're covering on the bathroom. I'm, I'm standing there. I'm like, okay. And it's quiet. Yeah. It's quiet. Um, but to this day, I see a disco ball and I get the heebie-jeebies. Because mm. we had a disco. I was right at, I was a stage right. Disco ball above the stage. Um, but it's so quiet yeah. that we could hear the motor of the disco ball. 
So wow. all you hear is meh, meh, meh. So we're like, okay, you know, and then somebody's like, I'm gonna shoot that ball, you know. So I'm like, I hear you, brother, you know. Yeah. And then you, the lasers and the are whole still time, going. You're just waiting for this. Just, just peek. Oh, just give just, me an inch. Yes, I had, I had my rifle up. I mean, this is the longest I've ever held my rifle up at a at ready position. But how long do you think looking? you were looking? I was inside for an hour. Wow. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a buddy that uh, he's, he's moved on professionally now, but he was an Orange County deputy. Uh, but even just from holding perimeter and being on calls, he had intentionally worked very hard to get his, he used his, his personal, uh, rifle was what he kept in his patrol car, but the SO had to sign off on it. Right. But he had worked to get that thing as light as possible. He's like, you end up, he's like, you have no idea how long you're going to be on the gun on a yeah. call if you're perimeter or whatever else. And so yeah, he so. was militant about, you know, ounces make pounds and his it, rifle was true. ridiculously light. It's true. Right? You, you take off any unnecessary weight. Yeah. So you're mm. you're standing there, the disco balls going. So I'm standing there, disco balls going. I'm looking down my sights to the bathroom, and I'm measuring. I say, okay, you know, they already told us, you know, it's a Middle Eastern guy, or at least he appears to be a Middle Eastern guy. Um, so I, I'm already thinking, okay, you know, Middle Eastern guys, a lot of them don't get that tall and stuff. So I'm already calculating, okay, he's probably my height. So I'm going to say that he's my height. So I'm holding my sights on to where I think a head would be. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as the head pops out, and if it looks like that guy, because they, they started sending us pictures um, on our cell phones. And if it looks like that guy, then um, basically, um, I was going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. You know, he pops out, I was going to shoot him. Um, so I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then all of a sudden, the cell phone goes off. And I thought it was my cell phone because it was an iPhone, and it was uh, the default yeah. ringer. And that's what I had. Um, and I thought it was me. So now I'm chastising myself. Oh, you idiot. You know better. You know, you're an operator. Well, what the heck is going on? You know, so I reached down my phone and it's not my phone. Mm. I'm like, oh, wait, it's not my phone. You know, my phone's on silent, you know, what it should have been. And, and it was. But then I look at the stage and I see a um, a body on the stage and they had short white, white shorts on. And all of a sudden in the rear pocket, I see the light going off. And I'm like, oh, somebody's calling him. Like Jeez. okay, and then as soon as that cell phone went off, then this one went off, then this one went off. All of a sudden, we're surrounded by cell phones going off. So we're like, "What the heck?" So now to this day, if I hear more than two cell phones go Jeez. off, yeah, dude. I'm like, you know, well, what the heck's going on? You know. So if you get invited Ed's birthday party, or if you're planning it, <laughs> put no, it on silent. No, <laughs> no, no, disc- disco, no ball. disco ball, and everybody turn your freaking phones <laughs> off. Yeah, no so, disco balls. But definitely. you know, I mean. Uh, Sad story, happy. Um, justice got served there on scene. Like he, he didn't yes. leave Pulse either. No, no, he How did, did it. So and this, uh, you had another SWAT group come yeah, in. And- yeah. So then what happened was um, the Orlando SWAT team came. The thing is, of course, Murphy's Law. They had just finished serving like two or three warrants. So they guys were were ragged, were tired. They were on their way home. Mm. As soon as they left the last warrant, they shut off their radios and just went home. Oh. You know. So then when this happened, you know, they're, they're trying to reach them, this and that. A lot of them, you know, um, got the call, the commanders, you know, get the call. So now they start individually yeah. calling each member. Hey, we need we need to go back. We're going to need to go and stuff. So I was inside maybe. That's why we never should have got rid of pagers. <laughs> yeah, right. I was inside maybe 20 minutes by now, um, 15 minutes. Um, and then... Um, one of my buddies, which was a team leader on the Orlando SWAT team, 
he comes in. He was my buddy from my narcotics day. We were um, undercover narcotics together. So he comes in. He sees me. He puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, Eddie. He goes, I'm going to use you. I'm going to leave you here, okay? I'm going to start relieving the officers. So as the SWAT guys came in, they started relieving the patrol officers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, use me all you want. You know, I told, hey, I got my kit in the car. You give me three minutes. I'll run out there. I'll put it on and I'll be back. He goes, well, I got my guys coming. Don't worry about it. So, okay, I'm here. Use me as long as you want. Well, he ended up using me for an hour. I was um, one of the last or the last officer to get relieved. And even then, I didn't want to leave. Yeah, I'm like, of course. I'm like, Tim, leave me here, you know, extra eyes. He goes, no, no, you, you don't have protection on you. Know, I, they all have their Kevlar helmets, their vests and stuff. I didn't. I just had regular patrol. I'm like, I'm good. He goes, no, 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 no. He, uh, later on, he tells me, he goes, are you kidding me? If anything would have happened to you, you know right. how I would have felt? Right. He goes, no. I'm like, okay. Also, so that's when I bro, got that relieved. SWAT team ain't going to stop Mama Iris if something does happen to oh, you. Like, that dude's going down, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then um, then the Orlando Police Department went went to work, and they did a bang-up job. Yeah. Um, eventually, they... Um, they got the schematics for the for the, the building, and um, in the schematics, they could see where the bathroom was at. Then they could see the outside wall. So then the OPD decided, okay, we're going to do an explosive breach. Um, that's an old building, cinder block. Cinder block, and it was filled in with cement. Mm. So that's a solid building. Yeah. Um, so then that's what they did. They went ahead, and um, they put three shape charges blew a hole into it as soon as they blew the hole and it was crazy because we were we were a block away standing in front of a 7-eleven um not even a block away you know but it was um 7-eleven the corner kaylee and orange avenue and we just standing in the front with our rifles re- at the ready because when we were ready to go at, at any minute you know and then we hear the explosion bro that rocked your world and you could feel it in your chest that the concussion you know, boom, yeah. boom and then we heard the explosion and then we hear bah, 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 like three rounds. And then we hear, you know, I'm like, we're like, oh, they got them. You know, and basically what happened was they 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 did the they poured it the wall, did three holes. Um, he shot through the hole. He hit one of the operators in the head. Fortunately, thank God, the operator had his Kevlar on. Nice. And it hit the Kevlar, Kevlar and knocked him out. Oh, man, yeah. So he went down. So they thought he was done, you wow. know. So then now they're carrying him, threw him in a pickup, drove him to the to um, RMC. Um, and then, then you hear that, you know, the gamut of the I mean, automatic fire, just or semi-auto, and the fingers are going as fast as they could. And then, um, then we all started running over there. And then to the wall, they made the holes bigger. And um, people start crawling out. So then now we're grabbing people, taking them out. Yeah. You know, um, I had a person that came running out and just started disrobing right there because the person was covered in blood. Yeah. Disrobing, you know, I'm like, stop, stop. No, no, let's go. We're running this way. And then I, I had to grab one of the, the, the safety blankets, throw it over her, you know, but she was, you know, she just wanted to get all that off of yeah. her. And then, um, and that was it. As soon as we got everybody out, we come out. They back us up because now it's a crime scene. You know, they confirmed we got him and he's done. Yeah. You know? So now, okay, we already backed up and then now it's a, an active crime scene. Gosh. They should have let every, like, family member walk by and just put one know. in him. Yeah. 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 Here, all right, take your shot. All right, next. Yeah, it's, it's he's... Piece of know, crap. He's, exactly. He's what was his and what was his best case scenario being holed up in that room? What did he think would happen? 
Like you're gonna um, go? Oh, it's fine. We'll leave you in there. He, it was it was a, a desperate act. Okay. Is what it was. Because I'm assuming, you know, I don't know this for sure, but I thought he was gonna go in there. It was a soft target, easy target. He probably thought he was gonna go in there, shoot, and then leave, and was going to escape. Mm. You know. Um, because wow. in that madness, he easily could have dropped his gun and, and run out with everybody screaming. He could have, yes. He could have easily done that. I mean, all he probably had to do was just run his hand on the floors and then put it on his body. Yeah. And, you know, he's one of the victims, you know. But yeah. um, he's definitely not a victim. Yeah. And um, he holds himself up in, in, you know, in, in the bathroom. And the whole time he was in there, he, he was communicating with Orlando's 911. And he was telling them, you know, he has uh, a vehicle in the parking lot with explosives. He has an explosive vest on and stuff. So that was one of the reasons why they wanted to take us out. Because he mm-hmm. said he, he had a bomb. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't care. I wanted to stay there. So I have to, I'm like, you know, I, I got to finish my job. I'm here. You know, we got to get to know. No. So, I mean, it's, um, it, it, it's, it was pretty chaotic, you know. And then, um, you know, I was there like, like I said, we got the call at 2.11. I got there, at, I mean, at 2.07, I got there at 2.11. Um, that's how fast I was driving. Yeah. I was surprised I got there that fast. Wow. Then um, I was there until 8 o'clock in the morning. Gosh, man. Yeah, then uh, I went home, you know, and my family was there waiting for me. Everybody ended up in my house, you know, my, my two boys, my daughter, everybody's there waiting for me, which is awesome. Yeah. And then um, the thing that also hit me was the next day I went back to work. I went to work. Um, my my chief and my captain were there. Uh, they were waiting for me, and then um, they you know they were talking to me. How you doing? I said okay. You know, I said um, I had I had you know I think I have to throw away my uniform because you know I was just covered in blood. My uniform was was covered in blood yeah. for the bodies that I was taking out. You know the people that I helped that weren't bodies because they survived. Um, and I told them. Um, uh, my boots I have on, I still got to clean them. So I was asking permission to use the Aeroclave, which is, we have a disinfecting system in, in the police department. It's called Aeroclave and it disinfects stuff. You know, I was asking permission and they're like, throw the boots away, go buy yourself some new boots. We'll pay for it, yeah. you know? Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, so then they, you know, they let me go. I went inside and I went to the break room and my food was still there on top of the table just <laughs> as I left it. Gosh. It was still there. So then I was like, so you sat down and ate because you can't waste. Oh no, you, waste you can. I, I I packed it up. I said I'll eat this for lunch. Well, know? this is this is the craziest point for a hard out, and I would like to go another two hours. I'm ten minutes away from an appointment. Fifteen minutes from now, so do, promise you'll come back. I promise. So much more to talk I promise about. I'll and come back. dude, I'll say, and this is no secret to you. We normally I speak for the podcast. Josh and I love you. This is no secret to you. We love your family. Your your lifetime of service, which isn't done, still serving. No joke. Like we can't thank you enough. We can't honor you enough. It's hard. You know, it's hard for people like us to hit, sit here and hear you say like I focus on the forty nine. But the reality is, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We have no idea how big that number would have been without you, right? Like because right. of you. Because of your fellow officers, it was only 49, right? It's not yeah. that it was 40. It was only 49, uh, right? And so just awesome, you know, what you do and how you serve and continue to do that. 
and uh, so much more to hear about your career. We didn't even hit on the narcotic stuff. We didn't hit on the undercover stuff. You've had a life, man. Yeah. yeah. Your I, best part is when you're like, hey, man, I know you're homeless. Do you want to live here with us for a couple years? <laughs> and I was like, yes, sir. Yeah, we definitely need to hear what it's like uh, to uh, to live oh, with Oh, no. With him giving me too. the instructions real fast. You give me the instructions of when you if you come home late, because I'd work late a lot of the time, and like I, you'd be like, make lots of noise. Jingle your keys. Do this, because I will shoot you if you're not loud enough. And yes. I'm like, yes, sir. That's just, that's just yeah. a good rule to live by. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming. No look problem. Thank you for having, having me. Listeners, thank you so much. Uh, for for tuning in uh, hit up solid seven podcast.com there's a link there to join us for the star course uh, in Jacksonville Beach this coming Saturday it's not too late you can do that uh, if you want to get some awesome gear that will last you the rest of your life clothes rucks boots shoes uh, whatever that will uh, look just as good if you're uh, walking around in the subways of New York as it will <laughs> if you're in Baghdad uh, hit the go rut gear link there on our website check out Chad 1000x and uh, you know if after all that you have any money left click on patreon throw us some support we'll get a good use we'll buy people like ed all the jocko go uh, they want to drink awesome. and awesome. uh until next week we're out see ya